Good evening. Let's get started. Um, I am Lena Tam. I am the supervisor for District 3, which covers San Lorenzo, and I will chair the meeting this evening since Supervisor Miley is participating virtually. Um, at this time, uh, we will also have Spanish interpretation, so I will turn it over to the Spanish interpreter and then the county clerk's office will do roll call. Hi there. Um, I am Patty from International Contact. As it was mentioned, we're going to provide Spanish uh, simultaneous interpretation for this meeting. The interpreters are already in their channel and they're already interpreting. I'm going to give the instructions right now in Spanish. Gracias por asistir a esta reunión. Tenemos interpretación al español disponible de manera simultánea. Si usted está conectado por medio de un teléfono, por favor, haga clic en la parte donde haya tres puntitos en su aplicación de Zoom um, y eh, podrá ingresar a la reunión. Si usted está conectado por medio de una computadora, lo único que necesita hacer es hacer clic en la figurita del mundito en la parte de abajo de su pantalla e ingresar a... Um, a la seleccionar, seleccionar el canal de español, Spanish, para poder escuchar esta reunión en Zoom. Estas instrucciones que acabo de dar es para cualquier persona que está conectada virtualmente, ya sea por medio de su teléfono inteligente o por medio de su computadora. Ahora voy a dar instrucciones a cualquier persona que está en esta reunión físicamente para que él o ella pueda escuchar en la interpretación simultánea en español. Next slide, please. Si usted está físicamente en la sala, en, con su teléfono inteligente, por favor, abra la aplicación de Zoom. Asegúrese de tener sus eh, audio sus eh, dispositivos para escuchar la reunión con el teléfono, sus audífonos. Es muy importante que tenga sus audífonos. Eh, abra la aplicación de Zoom e ingrese el número que aparece en este momento en la pantalla para el número de la reunión. Nuevamente, ese número de reunión es el 846-8443. 0209. Una vez que esté ingresado en la reunión, haga clic en la parte donde haya tres puntitos y de ahí haga clic donde esté el icono de interpretación, que es la figura del mundito. Y de ahí puede seleccionar Spanish o español para escuchar eh, la interpretación simultánea al español inmediatamente. Eh, también opcionalmente, si no desea escuchar el inglés, que va a estar en un volumen más bajo, simplemente puede seleccionar Mute Original Audio o Silenciar Audio Original. Eh, va a haber una oportunidad eh, después en esta reunión donde podrá hacer comentarios. 
eh, una vez que llegue ese momento, van a hacer el anuncio correspondiente eh, y usted pueda, puede hacer su comentario. Lo único que necesita hacer es hablar una vez que lo eh, saquen de silencio y pueda hacer su comentario. No necesita ir a ninguna otra parte o a ninguna parte de la reunión del Zoom. Muchas gracias. I would like to remind everyone who speaks English to please speak slowly. Our interpreters need to keep up with you. And if you speak too fast, they might not catch everything uh, for the interpretation. And there might be some text that is missed in the Spanish interpretation. Uh, that will be all. This concludes the multi-language instructions. Thank you very much. Gracias. Um, roll call, please. Supervisor Miley. Here. Supervisor Tam, present. For the unincorporated services committee, in-person participation is welcome. Masks are to be worn at all times. And for remote participation, you may follow the guidelines at www.acgov.org slash board calendar, teleconferencing guidelines, unincorporated services. Thank you. Um, we're going to have a slight change to the agenda. Uh, we will, tonight is uh, about housing. It's about housing in terms of the county's plan to provide housing in the unincorporated area, particularly affordable housing. And so that will start with the update on our housing element, which we are required under state law to prepare and submit to the state. And followed by staff presentation, we will have questions and public comment on that item. Then I will move the public comment on the non-agenda items that are not on the agenda after that first item. And then the second item, which is mainly for my benefit since I'm the newest supervisor on the tenant protection ordinances. Uh, I have submitted a number of questions to county staff and they will uh, try to answer some of them in their presentation to help me prepare for the February 28th meeting. So that is the plan for this evening. So at this time, let's start with item one on the county housing element with staff presentation, please. Good evening, supervisors. Uh, I'm Liz McElligott from the county planning department, and I am here tonight to, to give you the, the update on where we are with the county housing element. Uh, I will share my screen so I can show a presentation. So we are in the process of uh, preparing our housing element. Um, and this is something that is required by state law. Um, we, uh, all cities and counties have to update their housing element every eight years. Um, 
And I'm sure everyone's been hearing in the news about uh, how all cities and counties in the Bay Area are uh, on the same schedule uh, in the process of updating their housing elements uh, currently. The deadline for approval by the State Housing and Community Development Department was January 2023. So we are late, but we are um, working diligently as much as possible, uh, both county staff and, and our consultant team to uh, finish our draft as soon as possible. We expect to distribute the draft for a, a, at least a 30 day public review period in late March and um, su submittal of the draft element to state HCD for their review and comment um, is expected to happen in late April. The uh, state HCD then has 90 days to review the document and, and send us their comments. And then we will respond to their comments. Uh, and uh, if, if we need to, we'll resubmit it th to, to them for another 60 days. So the completion of the document really depends on how many rounds of reviews we have to do with state HCD, but it is our intent to work closely with state staff uh, as much as possible and uh, respond to their comments um, during the comment period to try to minimize the number of, of comments that we receive uh, and, and revisions that we'll need to make at the end of that time. Uh, so we estimate um, uh, approval by both state HCD and, and we'll be bringing it, the, the final document to the Board of Supervisors for approval in fall of 2023. State law requires several um, sections uh, to be included in, in the housing element. We have to include an assessment of uh, housing need and that includes existing needs, so that would include the any deficit in, in housing units that we currently have. There's projected need, um, which uh, is takes the form of a regional housing needs allocation, which I'll uh, explain uh, in uh, some later slides, and also populations with special needs to make sure that everyone has access to uh, suitable housing. We have to include policies and programs to fulfill identified need and uh, address issues that are raised during the housing element process. We also have to include a site inventory and analysis. And the, the purpose of this is to um, show that we have capacity uh, uh, allowed through zoning and uh, our general plan designations to accommodate the regional housing needs allocation. Then we have to include a, a governmental and non-governmental constraints section. Um, so this would identify things like a, a governmental constraint might be something like uh, high fees or uh, a long permitting uh, time. Uh, application review time, non-governmental constraints might be something like um, uh, 
creek on the property or a steep slope or something that would, um, or, or um, also uh, the high cost of land, things like that, that are, are not really in, within the control of, of the, the county government. Um, we also need to evaluate the existing housing element policies and programs to decide which policies we want to carry over to the new um, housing element and, and which ones um, we we don't see a need for anymore. Maybe there's a, a better way of accomplishing uh, the same goal uh, or it, we uh, included something last time that that um, maybe didn't work very well. So we, we have a better idea of how to address it now. We also have to uh, include uh, uh, analysis on uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing. And this looks at uh, historic um, uh, racial um, disparities in, in access to housing. Uh, and, and we have to look at ways to uh, correct that in, in the, uh, the coming, the, the element we're working on now. And then we also have to have uh, community engagement. And um, this meeting is part of that engagement to, to make sure that our supervisors and the uh, members of the public are aware of the process that we're working on. Just to give you an example of some of the policies and programs we're looking at, including um, we're uh, looking at, since we're, through the site's inventory, we're identifying places where uh, we, we think it's likely that housing will be built uh, in the, the coming eight years. Um, we're looking at um, how we can target uh, additional community resources in low resource areas that are planned for additional housing uh, to make sure that we're not overburdening these communities um, with more, more housing, more residents. We're looking at including um, uh, displacement policies and programs to uh, so we can avoid displacing existing residents um, when uh, additional housing is um, built uh, in their neighborhoods. Um, we're uh, looking at what one thing that we've been hearing uh, about in, in the community is uh, concern about BART stations, and we do have some uh, BART, uh, some housing proposed on BART station parking lots. Um, so we will include policies and programs uh, to um, dictate how we work with BART. They have um, a process uh, set up for um, negotiating with them and, and determining what a, what development needs to look like on um, BART station parking lots. And also um, an, another concept that we're looking at is uh, creating universal design guidelines. So many of you have seen this table before. This is just a reminder that uh, this for this housing element cycle, we have been uh, assigned a regional housing needs allocation that's significantly higher than, than the last time around. Uh, all jurisdictions uh, 
throughout the state really ha have uh, been um, uh, given much higher um, allocations to be fulfilled. So our allocation this time around, the, the total is 4,711 units. That's 166% higher than last time. So we have been, for the last several months, we have been working very hard to identify enough sites for, for this many units. And uh, also you can see how the, um, the total uh, RENA number is broken down by uh, income levels. So we have to provide uh, a, a certain number of units per income level. And just uh, for your information, this table shows when we talk about income levels, like if we talk about housing for, for low income households, um, these are the numbers that we're looking at. Um, uh, the um, Department of Housing and Urban Development comes up with these numbers. Um, the, the income categories are based on the percent of uh, median income for the area. And then they calculate based on household size um, what what income household income fits into that uh, income category. So you can see, for example, with low income housing, or uh, the uh, the income levels are actually not that low, um, maybe by Bay Area standards, but um, so. When we're talking about low-income housing, for example, we're talking about uh, a three-person household with an annual income of uh, over $98,000. Uh, so just so you have an idea of, of the income levels that we're, we're talking about. Um, for Figuring out what our, our site's inventory is, is going to look like, um, uh, state law dictates uh, how we go about this. Uh, it requires uh, every city and county to demonstrate that zoning and, and general plan designations allow enough housing development capacity to accommodate our arena. The inventory sites have to be identified um, or the, the inventory sites that we have identified uh, uh, are in every unincorporated community. So we're not um, looking at uh, concentrating uh, the sites in, in any one community. Um, and with such a high arena, frankly, we've been uh, scouring the maps, looking for potential sites. So um, they're spread throughout the unincorporated area. Uh, and I, I also want to stress that we, we're identifying the sites where it looks like there's capacity to build uh, residential units, but we're not, the county is not going to build the units, and we're not going to force anybody to build the units. The property owners will decide whether or not to develop their properties. Uh, and being on the site's inventory also does not uh, eliminate the need to go through the, the approval process and, and get all the, uh, the required permits. 
the applications for housing developments still need to go through an approval process and also comply with the same standards as uh, development on a site that's not listed on the site's inventory. And I talked about um, how we have to identify sites for um, units in, a, in various uh, income categories. Well, for purposes of assigning the properties to an income category, uh, state HCD generally uses density as a proxy for income level. So when we talk about um, the, the uh, properties on the site's inventory, generally speaking, um, we're assuming that the uh, higher density um, will be more affordable just because there's, you know, the, the units tend to be smaller. Um, there are some exceptions to that, but when we talk about income level in relation to the site's inventory, we're usually talking about um, the density. But we've identified sites on our, our draft sites inventory um, by first uh, looking at the projects that are in the development pipeline. So these are projects that have been uh, approved for development, but not actually constructed yet. Um, it also includes uh, properties where we've received an application for a development and it's in the process of being reviewed, but it has not yet been approved. Uh, we've also identified vacant public and private parcels, and we did this using the assessor's data, satellite imagery, and, and local knowledge. We've identified underutilized parcels, and the, the state defines this as uh, property where the value of the land is higher than the value of the existing improvements. So the assumption is that, that these properties uh, have a greater likelihood of being redeveloped within the timeframe of the housing element. Um, so, and, and the state is emphasizing that um, particularly with this housing element more so than, than past cycles, they wanna see um, properties on the list that are, are we can uh, show are likely to be developed. Uh, staff is in the process of reviewing the vacant and underutilized sites um, to identify ones that are appropriate for rezoning to accommodate more units to, to help meet the arena. So we have not been able to reach the 4,711 unit number um, just um, using existing zoning and, um, and general plan designations. So we are looking at uh, rezoning some sites. And uh, another factor we're looking at in, in uh, identifying the sites uh, and determining the, the uh, potential for development on each site is environmental hazards. So we are looking at things like uh, creeks and slopes and, and um, um, uh, uh, wildfire uh, hazard, uh, areas and, and, and other factors like that. So some of the key inventory sites that we've uh, identified so far are, as I mentioned, the Bay Fair and Castro Valley BART station parking lots. 
Uh, and there's a state law that was passed uh, several years ago now that um, requires uh, jurisdictions where there is property owned by BART within a half a mile of a BART station to um, follow um, the follow BART's transit-oriented development um, guidelines for those sites. And that includes um, zoning the sites to allow at least 75 residential units per acre. Um, and there's some other provisions. Um, we have to allow a, a, a certain height um, and there's some parking requirements as well. So we will be um, looking at uh, increasing the density on our, uh, our two BART sites and uh, following uh, BART's TOD guidelines. <coughs> um, we're also looking at the Castro Valley Boulevard Rite Aid site. Um, there's a county radio uh, communication station uh, across from the um, the uh, the substation uh, at the corner of Foothill and Boulevard and, and 150th Avenue and and um, uh, we have been told that that will be in, available in the near future for uh, residential development. Uh, First Presbyterian uh, Church on uh, Grove Way in Castro Valley has. Uh, uh, said that they are interested in developing more uh, housing units on their site. Um, there was uh, some early information about the sites of Ventori uh, incorrectly said that uh, the Trader Joe's site in Castro Valley was included in the sites of Ventori, and, and we received some comments about that. Um, but I want to ensure uh, assure everyone that uh, the Trader Joe's site is not included uh, we don't have any uh, intention of displacing Trader Joe's. It's the um, first Presbyterian site next to it that, that where we're looking at additional housing. Uh, another site that has uh, come up is uh, Crunch Fitness on Llewellyn Boulevard. And there's a few adjacent parcels as well where we've been hearing from uh, those property owners that they're interested in potentially um, developing some some residential units on on those parcels. Uh, we're also looking at uh, San Lorenzo Village um, as uh, an area where there is some capacity for additional residential units, um, and uh, for that area, we're not planning to displace any uh, you know, commercial uses or or, um, or uh, eliminate the possibility of, of further com uh, commercial development. But we think there's uh, some ability to develop residential development and commercial development in that area. <clears throat> the only site we've identified uh, in the East County out around Livermore, Pleasanton and Dublin is a, a fairly large site to the east of the city of Pleasanton. It's um, inside the urban growth boundary, which is uh, a boundary that's been in place for about 20 years. Um, 
that's intended to um, preserve the, the agricultural and open space land um, uh, out in that area and also the canyon lands of Castro Valley. So we, um, we feel that we can uh, accommodate the number of units that we need to within the urban growth boundary. We're not looking at uh, uh, expanding the urban growth boundary but there is this one site in East County that's, that is inside the urban growth boundary where we're proposing to uh, uh, in, include for housing as well. So I, I know this is very hard to see and these are very preliminary maps, but just to give you a, a general idea of some of the sites we're looking at and, and we are finalizing our sites inventory and plan to make um, uh, more um, uh, still draft, but more final maps uh, available um, in probably in the next few weeks or so. Um, but just to give you a general idea of what the maps look like right now, um, this is the draft map showing the Ashland area. Um, we have East 14th here and Llewellyn here. Uh, and the, the freeway. So um, this is the, the Bayfair BART station where we're um, looking at rezoning. This green color um, signifies that we're proposing to, to rezone the site. Um, and that would be to uh, allow more residential units uh, than would currently be allowed. Here's the Crunch Fitness site. Uh, and there are a few um, sites scattered uh, along East 14th that are, there are a few pipeline sites um, and then also some, um, what we've identified as uh, underutilized um, mixed use sites. Oops. Uh, for Cherryland, which is in, in this area, um, there aren't uh, really uh, large sites. We've identified some vacant residential sites throughout. You can see the little purple spots. Um, we do have the, um, the uh, county-owned site on the corner of um, Hampton and, and Mission. Um, where the there was a development approved that that was not built, so that is once again available for um, for development. In San Lorenzo, <clears throat> the sites we're looking at, um, as I said, are, are mainly concentrated in the San Lorenzo Village area, um, and. Um, some of these are commercial sites that we're looking at um, rezoning to uh, allow uh, residential development. This orange uh, area here is the, the village green um, development that uh, was approved, um, I, I believe a few years ago. Uh, this is uh, Castro Valley. Um, Again, you can see there are a lot of little purple spots um, 
spread throughout um, the community, which are uh, existing vacant uh, residential sites um, that we've identified. Um, we have, again, identified the, the BART station as uh, uh, an area for uh, rezoning to uh, allow um, additional residential units. Um, this is the First Presbyterian site. And we have the Rite Aid site here. And then uh, in Fairview, uh, again, there are several um, vacant residential sites uh, scattered throughout, and we have some uh, pipeline sites. Uh, the one or, or the, the largest uh, of the sites where we think there's some potential for rezoning um, is uh, here. Uh, this is the, the existing store. Um, So besides uh, the site's inventory, uh, some of the other parts of the, the element that we're um, working on is uh, our consultant has completed an initial draft of the housing constraints section, and we're doing an internal review of that um, before we um, put that into the, the uh, public review draft that will be available soon. And then we're also completing um, uh, an analysis of uh, the previous housing elements, policies, and programs. So we are uh, coming uh, to a completion of, of finishing a, a lot of the, uh, the pieces of the public review draft. So it is coming together. The affirmatively furthering fair housing uh, analysis is a, a new piece to the general plan. We have not had to, to prepare one for past, um, past cycles of the housing element. Uh, the, the purpose of this, uh, according to state law, is to analyze the history of fair housing in the unincorporated area and to, uh, to uh, affirmatively further, further fair housing throughout the housing element. So we um, we're required to uh, look at the analysis, look at the information that we collect, and make sure that um, the uh, that what we learn from the analysis is included in all other um, sections of the the housing element. So far, we've uh, accessed records at the Hayward Area Historical Society and, and found some uh, very useful information there. Um, we've opened a venue for residents to share their housing stories. Um, and, and the purpose of this was to, you know, we, we found a, a, you know, a lot of like old newspaper, newspaper clippings and things like that, um, but we thought it would be really uh, interesting to and useful to hear from residents of the area to to hear you know what maybe um, their how their parents and gra or grandparents moved to the unincorporated area or how they themselves um, have had uh, a, a struggle finding houses or housing in the unincorporated area that is. Um, uh, uh, suits their their particular needs. 
Um, so we, we want to hear um, what issues uh, people have had. We've uh, targeted outreach to stakeholders representing populations with special housing needs. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we hear from um, all of these groups. So um, we have uh, made a special effort to reach out to them so we can um, hear their, their concerns and, and how they think that, that we can uh, address the, their issues. And then we will be working with the consultant to uh, develop the policies to, to make sure that um, they are incorporated throughout the, the housing element. Uh, and here's a, a list of the community engagement um, uh, activities that, that we've um, taken part in so far. Um, we've uh, presented uh, general information about uh, a housing about housing elements and, and what they are and um, hoping to get people engaged in the process uh, and we've provided a few updates as well to uh, all of our, our MACs and, and other groups. Um, we've offered um, office hours online where um, we had uh, three hour periods where people could just drop in and, and uh, talk to county staff. Those were not well attended. So um, we decided that that is not uh, a good way to um, reach out to you, but um, it was an interesting uh, concept to try. Uh, and and I, as I said, we've done the uh, small group interviews um, with our stakeholders. We uh, sent out letters and we've been contacting some key landowners to determine their interest in including their property in the inventory. Uh, and, and that's something that uh, state uh, HCD has uh, said that they would like to see. So um, we're using that as a way to uh, confirm that um, there is uh, a good likelihood that, that uh, these housing element sites will be developed uh, within the, the cycle of the housing element. Um, we met with the Ashland Cherryland Healthy Communities Collaborative, which is a group of county staff and uh, people representing uh, various uh, uh, community organizations uh, to get their input. We uh, currently have a survey posted online. There's a link for, uh, on our website to that, and we welcome all of you to participate in that survey. We, we really appreciate your input uh, on you know, the, the direction that we should take in the housing element. Uh, and as I mentioned, we have the, the uh, also on our website, the link to the uh, sharing your housing stories template. And again, you're all welcome to, um, to uh, provide us with uh, your housing story through that. Um, uh, we this is uh, the second to the last of the uh, meetings in this current series of, of updates that uh, I've been doing during the month of February. And uh, as I said, in March through April, we plan to have um, 
our public review period where we'll have more community workshops and another round of meetings with uh, all of our, our advisory and decision-making groups. So there's our current schedule our, of meetings. Um, and as I said, the, the last one will be the February 27th Castro Valley MAC meeting. Some of the comments we've heard so far and in this most recent round of meetings uh, from the Fairview MAC, there's a lot of concern about uh, inadequate private streets and a lack of parking that uh, can be constraints to providing more housing in, in the Fairview area. Um, at the Eden MAC meeting, we heard some concerns about more de residential development in, in the San Lorenzo Village area and also to the, the potential loss of French fitness. Um, we heard that um, the, uh, the historic value of, of communities should be taken into consideration when we put more housing into these areas um, and also uh, natural resources, particularly on the, the 238 bypass parcels in, in Castro Valley. And um, we also, uh, heard a uh, comment that the uh, we should uh, definitely uh, address the, the current threat of gentrification as well as uh, recognizing historical racial displacement. So we definitely intend to, to take that into consideration and include policies and programs that would, will address that. Um, just yesterday at the Planning Commission meeting, um, we heard a, a comment uh, in, in relation to uh, uh, the development at the BART sites and potential loss of parking at those sites. Um, uh, a member of the public commented that BART ridership is down, um, so uh, there may not be a need for as much parking as, as uh, is currently available at the BART stations. Uh, and um, also, it was pointed out that with the uh, the uh, fifth cycle arena, the the one thousand seven hundred sixty nine units that the county was uh, was identified um, as having need, needing to to provide capacity for, um, we uh, only. Um, there are only about 500 to 600 housing units that were actually built in the unincorporated area. So in the past cycle, um, it, we only uh, provided uh, a, roughly about a third of the, the arena that we were assigned. So there, we, we wanna hear from you. There are a number of ways to contact us. We have a, a, an email that's being monitored by our housing element staff. That's housingelement at acgov.org. Um, we have a website that you can access from the planning department website. And on that website, you will find uh, a place to sign up for email notices if you wanna hear about future meetings or, or uh, we'll be sending out notices when the draft is available, things like that. So um, you can uh, keep on top of the process. Um, and also there's the link for their housing element survey and our share your stories.
So that is my presentation. I'd be happy to take comments and answer questions. Thank you for that very thorough presentation. Um, Supervisor Miley, do you have any questions? Uh, not at the moment, but I definitely want to appreciate the work of Liz on this and the staff, very thorough. So I'll wait and hear from the uh, speakers. Thank you. Thank you. I will do the same at this time. I'll open it up for public comment and uh, keep in mind that we are, we have translation. So uh, we will limit public comment to two minutes each and then the translator will also uh, have to translate with that same amount of time. So I will turn it over to the county clerk to call on the speakers. Are there any speakers in house for this item? I'll, I'll alternate between in-house and online. Hello, I'm Randy Wagi. Uh, Turn on the microphone. Oh, shoot. Uh, which one is it? Uh, right here? Oh, okay. Here I am. Um, I, you know, a lot of work has gone into this. I want to uh, thank Liz. Uh, she, did, she always does a great job. The thing is, uh, that's a little frustrating for us in San Lorenzo, is it looks like when you look at the maps, that all of our commercial area is turning into housing. Um, am I understanding that correctly, Liz? Have you reached out? Is it Bohannon? So am I looking at the green areas correctly that the rezoning would be all of Lucky's, uh, our area near the Lorenzo Theater, the space across from Demons on Paso Grande? Um, it just, you know, it's just frustrating. And also in the last 10 years, I've been working for economic development and, um, you know, in, in our town. And we finally got Crunch Fitness and we got Chef's Choice, which are two really great stores. And to see them, you know, potentially be destroyed is, is very frustrating also. Um, so it just... It just doesn't seem appropriate to put this much housing into our downtown San Lorenzo village. Um, anyway, that, that's all. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Uh, and I don't know if you want me to to comment now, but um, I would just say that, that when a, a parcel is showed on the map, it's it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole parcel would be developed with residential housing. There's There are a, a lot of sites where the uh, the existing commercial uh, development only takes up part of the site. And we're just recognizing that there might be room for residential development on um, uh, you know, another portion of the parcel, um, or it could be redeveloped with mixed use development. It doesn't have to be all residential development. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Dan Pan. Oh, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm the board member of BAHN Business and Housing Network. Uh, first, um, I really appreciate the committee just uh, discuss how to increase the inventory in an incorporated area. We are a housing provider uh, organization, so we definitely love to see more housing can be built and um, then we can invest. Um, again, I from the uh, slides they said they noticed the shareholders i don't know um uh, us the housing 
providers will be a shareholder or not, I know it's going to be more impact to the local residents. So if you want to hear something from us, you uh, feel free to reach to us at um, bahn.org at gmail.com, um, so we can uh, give you feedback about uh, all those housing elements. That's number one. Number two, I just want to uh, give you kind of the heads up from our st uh, standpoint. You know, we know that uh, uh, in cooperated area, they are discussing about more strict uh, housing uh, policies, just like a file, uh, a chance, uh, just cause eviction or a registration, all those kind of stuff is going to be very discouraging uh, housing providers to invest in the areas with very strict housing policies. We really want to emphasize that um, because next, uh, maybe the committee, we're going to discuss about that. Uh, we really concern and maybe next uh, items, I'm going to give you uh, my comments again. And also, we heard that Home Depot has decreased revenue. So less construction, uh, few people want to build uh, something um, because of the inflation. And also very, very much in California, the they have much more strict housing policies to, to uh, housing providers, to investors and builders. That's a very bad sign. Nobody will risk their money to invest the area that with, with very many housing um policies and choke our neck. So uh, I just want to give us a, a heads up and a feedback and I really hope you can think about that. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Elizabeth. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. This is Elizabeth Brennan. I live in San Lorenzo Village. I am very concerned about more residential zoned properties in the village specifically. We already have issues with support services, infrastructure, given the population already. And then if we go beyond the village, removing some of that um, commercial property on Llewellyn would severely impact the resources that we have to get to services, especially those who don't have consistent, reliable transportation. And then I have a question. At some point in the presentation, I believe Liz made references to the ADUs. So in an example where my neighbor has built an ADU that has, let's call it, accommodation for three people, is that used as one component for meeting the county or state guidelines? That's all I have for today. Thank you. Um, if you're asking if an ADU counts as a unit, um, yes, it does. Um, and, and there's a formula we can use that the state approved for figuring out how many ADUs we can include, uh, uh, that we can count toward our, our future arena based on how many units have been built, um, how many ADUs have been built over the last three years. Um, so yes, we are including ADUs in our arena. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Rovi, Lynn, Antonio. 
Oh, Hi, good evening. Rovi Lynn Antonio with the California Apartment Association. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. In addition to advocating for um, more housing inventory in your housing element, one of the things that we look at when we work on housing elements in different jurisdictions across the Bay Area is the um, is the part regarding fair housing classes and um, making sure that rental property owners as well as residents understand the fair housing law. Um, pleased to to share with the committee that one of our, if not the top most popular class that we provide um, for our rental housing owners is a, a webinar on fair housing, talking about what the law is, what it entails, and what is the best way to comply with the law. This is one of those things that we like to offer the jurisdictions that we partner with and the jurisdictions that are members operate housing in is that we always strive to ensure that fair housing is always being followed and that it's something that we are teaching any members of the rental housing industry from your maintenance staff, um, lease agents to um, the owner itself. So anybody who has anything to do with rental housing, we always, always advocate for a fair housing class, and which is why it's our popular class and it's a um, resource that we would like to offer the jurisdictions if needed. Thank you so much. My name is Sandra Macias. I am a resident of Castro Valley. Um, had a couple of thoughts. I wanted to start with um, the Castro Valley and Fairview um, proposed sites. And just, I definitely want to flag the fact that we did experience some school closures in that area and both Fairview and Cherryland, which is the schools that um, feed into part of Castro Valley and Fairview are really um, overcrowded right now because of those closures. And there seems to be a disconnect between the district and the county on how, you know, the, like the amount of units that are coming in or kids that are coming in. And because um, they are really just looking at like market rate housing, which is gonna produce a different number of kids. So I definitely wanna flag that in the Fairview area in Castro Valley. I think the sites in Castro Valley are where I live are really great. They are um, close to transportation, they're close to um, grocery stores, which are some of the things that I think are really important to have those amenities around affordable housing complexes. I know that there is, I live close to First Crest. I know that that is a site that a lot of folks, you know, have issues with because of, you know, the traffic and all that, but I think it's worth it because the quality of services that are available to residents of affordable housing there is gonna be really important. Um, the third thing I wanted to talk about was when you guys are looking at historical stories, I think it's important to look at it through the lens of the fact that places like the Hayward Historical Society tell a story that definitely excludes the experience of people of color. It's very whitewashed. It doesn't, it very much sugarcoats the horrible housing policies that have happened in this area. San Lorenzo was redlined. Those things are not often talked about because they're uncomfortable but they are important to the story of this community and they are still impacting today. Thank you. Well, my name is Carlos Archuleta and I wanted to touch more on that, what Sandra Macias was just talking about when it comes to redlining in this town, not in this an unincorporated area. Most people that look like me in the past weren't allowed to buy homes here. So a lot of the homeowners that don't want low-income housing and all that stuff around here, they benefited because they were allowed to buy homes or their parents were allowed to buy homes. And people like me 
didn't have that opportunity. And so remember, this is a red line area where it is still on the books of some organizations that minorities can't own property over here. And so you should take that into effect. You know, when you're listening to these landlords, a lot of the times these landlords are complaining about the stuff, don't even live in the area. You know, they're renting it out to people. So when they're talking about investments and stuff, they don't care about if it's nice here. They don't care about if it's bad here. You know, so when it comes to us minorities, black and Latin folks, we've been skipped big time, specifically in this area. So when it comes to low income housing, housing in general over here, we need it, especially for the children. Like a lot of times, like, like Sandra was just saying, they shut down so many uh, schools because everything is so expensive right now. And there's still more schools on the chop block. And again, I assume you haven't reached out to any of the districts out here, but if you talk to any of the school boards, there are more schools that are going to get shut down because unfortunately, a lot of the parents, they have to move out to Stockton and they can't take the commute anymore. They're just staying out there. So more schools are going to shut down. So unfortunately, they're shipping everybody out. And so I hope that you guys get as much low income property in this area to give minorities a chance to catch back up to the benefits that a lot of the older white folks privileged off of. Thank you guys. Can you turn and state your name for the record? My name is, I'm a Navajo American. My name is Carlos Archuleta. Paul, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Jennifer. Hi, my name is Jennifer Liu. Um, I'm a housing provider. I'm supporting the efforts of the county trying to build more affordable housing to solve the housing crisis. I think more importantly, we should give housing providers more incentives to provide housing and make more housing friendly policies. However, the housing policies are going the opposite way recently, like the eviction moratorium, like a banning criminal check for potential tenants, like the rental registry, etc. These are not friendly for housing. Uh, for the eviction moratorium is a miserable thing for many small housing providers. I myself is a victim of eviction moratorium. My tenant didn't pay a single penny for three years since the beginning of COVID. And I have a friend who's in even worse situation than I. His, his tenants uh, sublease the move out and sublease the, the house to others to make a profit and still reject to pay a single penny to the landlord. My, my friend uh, have to pay the mortgage, have to pay the tax and uh, they, they are at the brink of uh, bankruptcy, which is really, really miserable. COVID have passed already. California have already canceled the eviction moratorium for a long time, but still Alameda County is still having this. COVID, uh, uh, does COVID uh, create a hardship for some tenants? Yes, I think that the, the government should help those uh, people who really need help. We should not put all the burden to the small housing providers. We, are also, we also have family to support. We have mortgage and property tax to pay. Uh, we should really balance that. If the policy goes on like this, later no one dare to rent our, our property. 
eviction moratorium is a violation for the right given to us by the Constitution. Thank you, your time's up. Hello, my name is Chris Moore. I'm uh, on the board of East Bay Rental Housing Association. Um, we provide um, assistance and services to housing providers, about 45,000 units across Alameda and uh, Contra Costa counties. Um, I, I wanted to mention that they, they mentioned in the last uh, meeting on the, on the numbers, and I think it's important because a lot of, I've actually participated uh, in Berkeley's program, Albany's program, Oakland's pro, uh, housing elements, Piedmont's housing elements, been involved in a lot of these uh, programs. And what I saw in all of these is I was able to look at a draft a year ago uh, in many of these cities. And I know we haven't seen the draft yet. And I did want to hit on the numbers because a lot of comparisons done between cycle six and cycle uh, cycle five. So yes, it is a you've 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 actually hit 32% of the numbers, 577 units um, out of the 1,700 that um, you were supposed to hit in this county. The real number, if you look at, you now need to build 4,711. You only built 577 last time. That's 4,134. It's, it's not a 166%, it's a 716% increase in housing. So the reason I say this is in a lot of the plans in some of these cities, they put in elements um, that include things like, um, well, addressing potential displacement, they put in things like TOPA and rent control and just cause and these other things. They actually do the exact opposite. They prevent investment in the community. The, the unincorporated county needs to build 4,134. They need to focus on incentivizing housing providers to build more units. You won't have this problem where people are looking for housing and can't find housing if you build housing. If you put in regulations that prevent the building of housing, you will never meet this number. And you'll, you, you may not even, you probably won't even hit 30% again this year. Please contact Ibra. Rental Housing Association of Southern Alameda County, CAA, Bon with Don Pan, uh, Dan Pan uh, mentioned earlier. You need to talk to all of them now because we haven't seen a version of, of this. We don't know what's in there and we need to see what's in there so we can help make sure you're not going to damage the housing in the community. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Chen Chi. Hi, good evening. Um, my name is Chen Chi Ma. I'm a small housing provider in the East Bay in Alameda County and uh, also a member of Bang. Um, the root cause of the housing crisis in Bay Area is well known, right? Everybody knows the lack of supply. So I'm very glad uh, that uh, the board to see the board supervisor and the staff are actually studying this issue and, and uh, discussing of the way to, to uh, elevate this problem, uh, particularly I uh, talk about uh, building more affordable housing and so on. So that's the right approach. Uh, one of the things to consider though is to have like basically school roads and the other infrastructure uh, that's necessary uh, before also uh, uh, only not only just consider building more house, but also the other infrastructure uh, had to be also planned beforehand. Uh, second thing I would like to address is uh, no, uh, you guys going to discuss more restrictive housing policy later on? I think the prior speaker already did talk about that. Actually, this policy will not add a single unit of supply 
to solve this problem, which is the root cause of the problem is the supply. So, but it can actually counteract to, to, the, uh, to incentivize the, the investor to go elsewhere. There are many of us, in me included, already you know, start investing outside of California because of the so much risk involved in terms of here. And uh, basically you cap the return, but the, the risk, the costs are going up and uh, that's not fair for the investor. Uh, so basically there are a lot of investors like us, we have been investing elsewhere and that's not good to solving the housing crisis here. There's an old saying in America, we already dug ourselves a deep hole as it is. The first thing to do is stop digging. Thank you. Hi, uh, Keith Barrows from uh, San Lorenzo. Um, I have a number of questions I hope I could get answered. Uh, I'd like to be able to see that map uh, in a little more detail. So I, I assume there's uh, someplace on your website or something that can be seen better than we can see on the screen. Um, I'm, I'm gonna mention a few, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I know of, uh, of course we have this area here at the 500 block of Paseo Grande that's uh, vacant now as, uh, as one of the spots that have been uh, that have been designated. Um, this whole area, if I'm not mistaken, uh, several years ago during the village uh, specific plan uh, process was ended up being uh, designated mixed use. So, I mean, even, even some of the commercial areas and that was, you know, back when it was gonna be developed uh, or there was an attempt to develop it and, and, uh, and to put 857 residential units here in the village square. But it, it's my understanding that the planning department developer uh, they changed the zoning. Um, they adjust. I'll just say they adjust the zoning so that as many as 1,400 units can be built, which is uh, obviously oversaturation. I hope that I don't know if that still stands today, but there's that. There is uh, there there's there's em there's empty space uh, next to next to uh, uh, next to McDonald's over here on Hesperian. That's there's a good lot. There's also that that little parcel right in the middle of the residential area. Botman and Via Chiquita that uh, we were hoping there was going to be a cafe, but apparently everybody thinks that's commercial suicide. Um, uh, on Hesperian between Frodo Joe's uh, and and um, uh, and Caesar's Chicken, 77 East of Willing, right across the street from San Lorenzo High School, a nice big lot that's there. Also 16550 Ashland Avenue used to be the old nursery. I believe that big property is owned by St. John uh, Church now. Um, also an, another big place that's available. Uh, I, I echo what Randy said about, uh, about crunch uh, being taken. That, 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 that would be very upsetting, but there's plenty of, there's plenty of room between uh, those, uh, those buildings and the railroad tracks also. Um, yeah, we, you know, San Lorenzo, San Leandro annexed a lot of our property a long time ago, greenhouse and a lot of places and, Terry, and Hayward, Terry, a lot of the commercial and West A Street. Um, we would like to have some bit of commercial left, not, uh, this is not to stop housing, but um, it, it just needs to be, uh, it, it just needs to be, it, it just needs to be well selected and not, uh, not overrun and oversaturated. So I, I, we worry about that. Thank you, Mr. Barron. Okay, thank you. I just want to say that we, we, we will have maps uh, on the website. We don't currently, but we are finalizing maps to put on the website, um, hopefully within the next few weeks. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Paul Taylor. Hello. 
Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I, I think probably um, what I'm about to say is probably geared to the next topic, but I want to go ahead and get in anyway. First of all, uh, I want to say hi to Supervisor Tam and President Miley. And just to let you know, I know your jobs are uh, hard or else everybody would be doing them. So that, that part we get. But one of the things I wanted to say was that, and we're going to be talking about, in effect, tenant protections. And I don't think there's anything wrong with tenant protections. So I'm the executive director at the Rental Housing Association of Southern Alameda County. You know us as RHA. But what I really want to talk about is that housing providers deserve similar protections. You know, the ability to conduct background checks minimizes the risk of introducing an unknown element to the community that could possibly be problematic. I think if fair chance is passed as written, home providers should have protections from litigation. They should be indemnified and held harmless for the suits that will probably come. If by chance someone does get in and does cause a problem for the community, they should not be culpable for that. For that reason, we are urging you to vote no on fair chance ordinance we think would be a benefit to the home providers. Thank you again for your time. This is about the housing element, and uh, we will have public comment on non-agenda items afterwards, and then we will talk about the tenant protection ordinances. Uh, if you want to talk about it later, we will make sure that you have that opportunity. Good evening, supervisors and staff. I'm Derek Barnes. I am the CEO of East Bay Rental Housing Association. And um, as uh, my colleague said earlier, we cover uh, a lot of owners who uh, operate housing in, uh, in Alameda County and Contra Costa. I mostly have comments and some questions. Um, pardon my looking down. I took some copious notes while Liz was uh, delivering her, her, her informative report. So I think what we can all agree on is that production and supply are clearly the highest priority and adding 4,700 new units uh, with, with a quarter being dedicated to low income households at 80% AMI or less is huge, right? And I think we support that. We think that production is one of the ways that we can get ourselves out of the housing crisis. Um, question, what can the county do to provide more incentives in private investment, development, building, and operating rental housing in the county as we look to this housing element? We need more housing provider incentives, uh, we need more uh, housing provider incentives, less housing enforcement programs to stimulate production, which we've heard uh, here tonight. Uh, second, what's the process for doing a gap analysis of old versus new housing uh, element items to determine what works to continue and what doesn't work to discard? Um, 
Community engagement should include in-depth discussions with cross-stakeholders, um, participation, not just siloed discussions uh, with each separate stakeholder group. This is one of the most effective ways to break through some of the, the inter-stakeholder impasses. Um, my question, what are some of the some novel ways um, that we can do greater outreach and to break through some of these impasses that county staff has cited in past reports to boss. And then prevention is another priority, clearly. What are other programs to preserve, maintain older housing stock and generational ownership, which is, a, which is the vast majority of affordable housing in the county? Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Mena, Yan. Hi. Hi, this is Mena Young. I'm also a member of Bond. Uh, we are a, a group of small property owners who mainly consists of uh, people who immigrated from uh, other countries. Um, and when we came here, we enjoy um, the opportunity to have been able to find housing through rentals, uh, mainly provided by other um, mom and pop owners. But nowadays, as we could become um, the providing side of housing, we realized how lucky we were back then to be able to find housing with very little credit and um, financial background. And, you know, we were taken in. But nowadays, with all these um, very restrictive rent regulations, uh, we ourselves are less likely to enjoy uh, those freedoms to um, to go through the with, with housing, we, uh, providing housing. We can climb up the social ladder from lower income to middle income, and uh, for our general uh, future generations, is probably going to be even less likely. And as I can see, um, more and more housing are more uh, developed by really big. Either you call it nonprofit or profit, they're all corporate uh, developers, not too many uh, opportunities for the small property owners. So we need to really deregulate and uh, respect private ownership and, um, and contracts between two people instead of having the government being in the middle, um, making it a much, much a tougher process, which basically just cost eviction is nullifying the contracts between two people. And that makes it really risky and with no um, uh, reassurance for the owners to, to, be, to have control over their property. So that's, you're gonna lose uh, Thank you. Thank you. property. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Barbara. Unmute your microphone, Barbara Fields. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, I can. Okay. I'm a small housing provider, and I have been for the last 30 years. And I actually have one of the parcels. It's an underutilized parcel in Castro Valley. You have it labeled. I want to say... You need to have more incentives for people to develop their properties. I moved some of our money up to Reno, Nevada, 
And Reno last year had uh, 3,000 permits were, where they waived the fees so people could develop their properties. And they're, they've made it. I mean, they the 3,000 permits were taken out right away and the building is pretty much complete. So I think that's something that you need to consider to make it better for the investor and to, to want to build the housing. Thank you. No additional speaker, supervisor. Thank you. Are there any comments from President Miley? Hearing none. Um, no, no, I don't hear, have any. I just appreciate everybody's remarks this evening. Thank you. Yeah, I also really appreciate the comments. Um, and I think they're gonna be very helpful as we help staff finalize the housing element that's gonna be required with the county. Uh, at this point, let me move to public comment on the items that are not on the agenda. Are there any public comments on non-agenda items? <laughs> um, yes. My name is Sandra Macias. I am um, again, a Castro Valley resident. Um, I just wanted to flag, am I not? Use the mic, pull it down. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, like I said, my name is Sandra Macias. I'm a Castro Valley resident. Um, I wanted to flag the Spanish interpretation that's provided in person here. Um, it doesn't seem to be working. Um, none of the residents were able to really use it. I understand that it's challenging and cost prohibitive maybe to have interpretation live here and on Zoom, but I think that there could be something to help folks because I think one of the issues is that when you ask people to call in, it's loud. And so maybe like having headsets people can check out or something to help them access that would be really useful because as of right now, though you're providing kind of translation, it actually isn't working um, because none of the folks that are here, and then we do have a multitude of Spanish speakers here, they're not able to access the interpretation services um, here at, in person at the library. So I just wanted to flag that and thank you for your time. I kind of wanted to second that, you know, the majority of the population here is brown, you know, some, some form of Spanish speaker, and to not have translation for the majority of the, of the population, you know, put, flip, the, flip the shoes. Imagine if we have this whole conversation in Spanish, and then we forced you guys to guess on what we're saying, and then told you to give your opinions on that. Everybody would be in hysterics, yet we continually do that to the brown community over here. And so we you gotta say, hey, when it comes to translation, if you wanna truly say that you want us to participate, then you have to be able to, to include us in a conversation. Because if you're gonna talk in a language that we don't understand and then ask us to, to comment on it, we're not included. And so I understand that San Lorenzo is a redlining town. So they've been comfortable with that for a long time. But now in this new century, we're against all that. We're trying to be inclusive. You know, and in order to be inclusive, in order to include everybody, we've got to be able to communicate and talk to them. So translation has to be something that is the top of our priorities, not mm, we might get around to it. We'll see if we can get to it. Because not only does it cause problems 
when we're when we're talking on like uh, public comments. But for example, when people come in the door and someone's kind of telling them no at the door, you can't come in for whatever reason for COVID or you need a mask. If you don't understand English, you just have a, a, a woman saying you're not allowed to come in and you don't know why. So there's there's a language barrier there. So it needs to be a, a priority. We can't say we care about minorities, but when it comes to stuff that actually helps us out, we're always against it. We always have reasons and it's too expensive. So when it comes to translation, it needs to be at least number one or number two. Thank you and good night. You're on the line. You have two minutes. Stan Pan. We're on public comment. Items not on the agenda. Yes, my name is Dan. Uh, thanks again uh, for the other opportunity. Um, I just heard from the gentleman said they are brown. Uh, I really understand because I'm yellow too. <laughs> I'm minority. I'm a woman, and we, our all uh, most members have uh, very uh, limited English uh, skills. So um, we were facing the same problem. Even we're housing providers. So don't assume that uh, housing providers are rich. Um, uh, or uh, with all the skills. We are struggling, we are fighting, and we're, we're still surviving for our life. We have children to feed. I uh, just want to mention the situation. And also, uh, while I'm, I'm speaking here, I just want to mention about the eviction momentum. You know, the eviction momentum has caused tremendous damage to our housing provider world. We are constantly every day discussing about this, and we, we, we our a lot of members have tears, um, strugglings. I I don't know how to uh, explain the the their feeling. You know, uh, the heartbreaking. So I don't know if you have that kind of uh, same kind of situation. You know, many years, some family has no penny for the income. Can you imagine? I mean, you guys have need an income for your family, right? How can we don't need income to raise our family? So that's that's uh, I, I mean, it's very horrible situation. So so definitely, we really hope uh, supervisors uh, to be reasonably to end the eviction momentum as soon as possible. We know the three years the pandemic uh, pandemic is over. We have to move on. Uh, and, and we have to go back to our normal life. Thank you so much. Next in-person speaker for public comment. Seeing none. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. James, public comment. Hi, thank you for the opportunity. I'm a small landlord in Haywalk. I, I, I'm also thinking of building a new house or at uh, ADU, but you know, like now the Alameda policy is so unfriendly to landlord. Uh, some tenant uh, they don't pay rent, and right now uh, she file all kind of execute to to give her her they don't pay rent, have to execute for some reason. Uh, some some reason I myself use the utility normally one month is two hundred is enough, but this tenant. She need to pay rent, but he use my utility every month. He will generate one thousand utility, but I can do nothing. So I'm, I right now I'm so concerned about the policy. I'm concerned to to have more investment to the Alameda County. I hope since uh, the hope this uh, it makes more money will will end. Will uh, the supervisor can do the philanthropy to the uh, house, 
household so we can um, and other people can invest here more house here. Thank you so much. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Warren. Public comment, Mena Young. Hi, yeah, this is Mena Young. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, yes, about the uh, eviction moratorium, uh, we have seniors and also people who are going through very tough uh, Ill illnesses, disabilities uh, as poverty um, owners, and they are faced with, uh, with renters who are not paying rent but they're still being forced to provide service, which is just like slavery. And they're being pinned down by the government, not allowing them to self-defense uh, in face of robbery, somebody in, you know, taking over their property. And the government is accomplice of that. Um, you know, other business like Walgreens, when they get robbed, they can close down their stores but we are not allowed to, which is very immoral. We are being forced to provide service without compensation. Um, public officials are sworn in. Um, they have oath to um, defend the constitution. And so our property rights uh, to be uh, correctly compensated is being violated. So please end the um, emergency, the uh, eviction moratorium now. Thank you. Hi, I'm Keith Barros from San Lorenzo. Um, I'm, I'm here to complain about something. Uh, surprise. Um, um, I, I contacted, uh, I, I contacted uh, code enforcement regarding, um, regarding a sidewalk restaurant. Uh, let's get something straight. I'm not trying to run them out of town. I'm not trying to run them out at all. However, I called the code enforcement to ask uh, to find out whether or not um, you know the, the the folks are licensed, whether they're permitted, whether you know it's healthy. It, it, it has a very good appearance. Um, I also wanted them to address uh, the litter situation that is uh, that's been happening, and also with the uh, with the uh, grease and soot that's uh, that's on the sidewalk um, after after they leave. Um, I, they did not call me back. Uh, and I'm not happy about it. And uh, so I'm going to I'm just mentioning this here tonight. Uh, officially, the county putting it on the record. Uh, when somebody slips and falls on that grease that's on that sidewalk that's been building up for weeks, um, I want to know whose who's, uh, who's liability is this? Is this the business? Is it Brandon who owns the property that's, uh, that's behind it? Or is it the county because they've been notified and it's on the record and uh, have not done anything to address it? So um, I, I, I just wanted to make those comments and get it on the record. And uh, hopefully someone in, uh, in code enforcement and planning uh, will, will respond uh, to this before someone does get hurt. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. I'm here. We're on public comment. Items not on the agenda. Hello. Yes. The eviction moratorium has unfairly burdened the mom and pop housing providers with unrealistic liabilities that financially wreck them. Irresponsible tenants have abused the eviction moratorium system by choosing to withhold rents that they actually can't afford. This has left landlords unable to pay their mortgages, property taxes, and repairs. 
The present time currently has no lockdowns and is unrealistic to allow tenants to withhold rents despite the presence of plentiful job openings that has now led to employees market. Please end the eviction with a moratorium now. Thank you. At this time, we're going to have our uh, Spanish language host repeat the Spanish instructions for interpretation. En esta reunión, la interpretación está disponible para las personas que están físicamente en la sala. Lo que tienen que hacer eh, en su teléfono inteligente es instalar la aplicación de Zoom. Después de instalar la aplicación de Zoom, después tienen que ingresar el código de esta reunión que ya hemos brindado al comienzo de la reunión. Ese número de esta reunión, eh, si están anotando, es el 846 8443020209. Eso es para escuchar la interpretación al español si están en la sala. También estamos ofreciendo interpretación del español al inglés. Si usted está físicamente en esta sala, puede acercarse al podio y hacer su comentario en español y nosotros lo vamos a interpretar al inglés. Gracias. Next caller, Chun Chi, we're on public comment, items not on the agenda. You have two Hi. minutes. Good evening. My, my name is Chun Chi Ma and a uh, member of Farm and a small uh, property provider in Alameda County. Uh, I'd like to share a story about, uh, basically we have a tenant family of two adults and two, uh, two adult parents and two adult kids. Three of them are working, living in a two-bedroom two, two apartment, 2,000 rent. And uh, um, so sometimes they pay 200, sometimes they pay 400, sometimes they pay nothing, uh, depend on how they feel that month. Um, so basically we receive about 26,000 in ERAT, but they still racking up about 35,000 in bad rent and still climbing um, during or during pandemic. So they, they during the pandemic, they bought a 80% new car. So basically it's not totally brand new, but it's about 80% new. This is so unfair. So we, why should the landlord be the one that shoulder the financial uh, burden or, or subsidizing the lifestyle of uh, uh, such tenant? Uh, the previous speaker, Dan, already mentioned, my and pop landlord, we are just normal human being like you and me. We have our own family to support. By the way, there's some people are, are stoking the fear of a eviction moratorium uh, once that end will cause a surge or tsunami. But if you look at February 12th, St. Jose Mercury News, they have a story about eviction case um, in other county after we opened. Uh, San Francisco, Cemetery, Santa Clara County, they're only showing a marginal uptick in case, not a huge wave after the opening. And then they start trend down again. So, so basically the Fed will, will tell you that those are just a 
unnecessary fear. I strongly urge a supervisor to allocate more funding to EREF fund if those are available to help the landlord who didn't get receive the, uh, the rental aid and to end this overdue eviction moratorium. Thank you very much. We have no additional speakers for public comment. Thank you very much. Um, at this time, uh, we will move to the one, informational item. One, one additional speaker, I'm sorry. Okay. Caller, you're on the line, you have two minutes. Hi, this is Dan Jackwitz from the California Highway Patrol. And I just want to say I appreciate this discussion. And in light of, um, you know, jobs and, and, and situations pertaining to uh, creating jobs, the CHP is currently hiring um, uh, qualified applicants. And uh, after the passage of uh, Senate Bill 960, uh, you, uh, if you're qualified and legally able to work under federal law and you're here uh, uh, as holding a green card or visa and can work, you can apply to be a police officer in the state of California. So we're encouraging uh, everyone uh, who is interested in law enforcement to come our way um, and to uh, seek a career with us. We have uh, good paying jobs as officers uh, entry level and we're very competitive with other police agencies as well as we're looking for uh, dispatchers, public safety dispatchers, and as well as um, non-uniform uh, positions in commercial vehicle inspection and things like that. We're also looking forward to March. We're recognizing our women in law enforcement as March is a national uh, women's history month recognized. And uh, we are encouraging, uh, you know, um, more applicants um, who are women to come forward. Only about 5% of our uniformed officers are, are women. And so we're looking to uh, bolster those numbers and uh, diversify in uh, many different areas and continue to build upon um, those uh, uh, rulings uh, which allowed women to uh, enter the police force in the highway patrol uh, in 1974. So we encourage everyone to look at chpcareers.com uh, or chpmadeformore.com and uh, look to, uh, to come join the highway patrol. Uh, again, great medical benefits, uh, very, um, a great uh, retirement system right now, and uh, we'd love to have you. So look us up. Thank you. Thank you. I never expected public comment to provide free advertisement for CHP to recruit, but there you go. Uh, I'm sure they also would appreciate some Spanish-speaking officers. Um, so the next item is on the tenant protection measures. And, and frankly, this is for me because uh, I would like to prepare for the upcoming February 28th uh, meeting where we will be talking about these ordinances. And I've been trying to understand how the ordinances are going to be enforced under consistency with recent state tenant protection laws, as well as recent laws regarding criminal records, so I've shared my questions with our HCD staff and, and frankly, because my colleagues had continued these items or deferred these items since January 10th, I wasn't able to ask the questions. And I think it's important for uh, uh, the community to understand my questions in a more open and transparent manner rather than trying to force uh, meetings in between board meetings. So I'm hoping that um, I can get a lot of these questions uh, answered and I look forward to hearing from all of you on, on your comments about these issues and I haven't been 
part of the committee meetings in the past uh, when this was discussed. So, um, Michelle, I think uh, you have a presentation prepared. Is that correct? Unmute, Michelle. Yeah, sorry. I just realized that I was still on mute. Um, thank you very much, Supervisor Ch uh, um, Tam, for having me and welcome to the Unincorporated Services Committee meeting. Um, I know you were here once before or one other meeting when you first started, and this is a good opportunity for us to talk about this issue. Um, tenant protections have been a program that we've been working on for basically three years. We started in January of 2020. Um, so this has been a long process with a lot of opportunities for public comment and a lot of public meetings, and my presentation will go over that. The presentation I'm going to share is largely based on the one that went before the board on December 6th, when we had the ordinances um, under consideration for the first time at the board. Um, we held the first reading of those ordinances on December 20th. And at this point in time, we're um, between the first and the second reading. And so um, eventually they'll come back to the board and there'll be an opportunity to either pass them or to send them back to committee for more work. Um, and we, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I wanted to also thank everyone who's coming uh, to these meetings. This has been a, a very... Um, uh, vocal group of people on both sides of this ordinance of, of this issue. And we have a lot of landlords that are hurting because of the eviction moratorium. And we have a lot of tenants who are hurting um, because of the incredibly rising costs of housing in the Bay Area. And also, you know, because they were impacted by COVID or, you know, just because they are impacted by um, difficult housing situations. So what we see in this process and what we have raised up and talked about publicly a lot is that, um, you know, while we're trying to find middle ground, uh, it's really difficult. And there is a pretty polarized group of people who are really advocates. And I think when you um, hear from the landlords who are really hurting, it's because they have tenants who are possibly abusing the eviction moratorium and what the intent of it was. And when you hear from the tenants, it's because you are hearing from tenants who have landlords who are not treating them fairly. So not all landlords are um, bad. We have lots of really good ones and not all tenants are bad. We have lots of really good ones. And um, the polarization is really coming because there are bad actors on both sides. And those bad actors are actually driving this conversation. And so um, whether it is the eviction moratorium, which this is not a discussion of the eviction moratorium, but it is conflated with the tenant protections, um, or whether you're talking about tenant protections, uh, you're, you're getting a lot of people who are standing up and saying, I'm not treated fairly. And um, it's on both sides. So I just wanna make sure that we acknowledge that from the very beginning, because it is um, a critical part of this discussion. Um, the sort of other, well, I'm, I'm going to launch into my presentation because I do have a PowerPoint and then I'm happy to answer more questions. And I know that you want to take um, public comment. So we'll go there in just a moment. So can you see my screen? Yeah. Which can. screen can you see? <laughs> protections in the unincorporated county. The big one. Did it 
Did it change? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Sometimes I get up here and I think it's moving and it doesn't. So um, we're just very quickly, we're going to talk about the first phase of the tenant protection program, um, the public process, outstanding questions that we have for each of the first three ordinances. We're going to talk about the second and third phase and why we had three phases. And then we're going to talk about next steps. So um, as I mentioned, the first reading of the first three ordinances happened in December. When we began this process, it was because we had a stakeholder committee that um, went out into the community, talked to lots of tenants, um, figured out what some of the key issues were, did a lot of research on tenant protections, and came back with a pretty extensive program to adopt. And um, frankly, uh, as the housing director and the one being asked to implement that program, I essentially said I'm not staffed to handle nine different ordinances all at once, and we'll have to take this in phases. It's not something that I can do all at once. And so I went to uh, Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Miley, and I walked them through the proposal, and they said, sounds good, three phases, and we move forward with phase one. So phase one included originally a rental registration and proactive tenant um, rental inspection program, uh, a just cause ordinance, and then fair chance. Um, at the transportation and planning committee meeting in May, uh, they uh, asked that the proactive rental inspection program and rental registry be separated. And so we did that. We um, are still having conversations about rental inspection and that's happening separately with our code enforcement department. Um, but rental registration stayed as one of the first phase of the ordinances. Coming up next would be um, these other ordinances that we have had one public meeting on rent stabil stabilization. Um, we had some anti-harassment language uh, previously in one of the other ordinances that we've removed. So we still have to consider how to do an anti-harassment ordinance. And then we also have modifications of our existing mediation ordinance and um, some other things. So we have been working on this for three years. This is not something that went fast at all. It was a long, um, very considered process. We spent an entire year researching ordinances across the county and across the state. Um, what we are proposing is very much in alignment with other local governments. Um, and absolutely no more restrictive than other cities like Oakland and Berkeley and Alameda, which are in our county. There are other places all over the county that also have things that are more restrictive than this. So um, we're sort of a middle of the road, um, but we are intending this to be a comprehensive program. We're not intending it to... Um, uh, it's intended to be a proactive program. It's not intended to um, to just sort of sit there and be reactive when a tenant complains. It's intended to actually take action. So where did we go? We had 19 stakeholder meetings. Uh, we went to, this is the sixth unincorporated services committee meeting. We went to four municipal advisory committees. Uh, we did two health committees. We did the joint health and social services committee. And we've gone to transportation and planning three times. So these ordinances have been um, out in the public. Uh, we've taken lots of written comments, public uh, uh, oral comments. 
Um, changes have been made uh, reflecting both the tenant side and the landlord side. Um, and we've also held multiple meetings with landlords and um, several of the supervisors, and we've held a couple of town halls. Um, and uh, I can honestly say I haven't uh, had a meeting with the board members and the tenants, but we have had meetings with the <laughs> with the land uh, with, the, with the board members and the landlord. So we, there's just been a lot of meetings um, and a lot of opportunity to ask questions and a lot of opportunity to provide comments. Here are some more of those types of meetings that we talked about with board members that actually hosted the meetings, including um, supervisors Haubert and Brown, who held public meetings and facilitated conversations. So what are the different ordinances that we're talking about? Rental registry is, is really the first one, and it is the backbone of our proactive program. The purpose is to allow the county to better understand the current rental environment. Um, and it ensures that reoccurring issues can be tracked and monitored, and we can then identify where we need to put our resources to solve housing problems. Um, it is also really critical because it provides correct contact information um, and ensures that the county has access to the data that the board continues to ask for. Um, and which I don't have access to right now. And it also provides a baseline for rental information about the cost of rents for every property based on the need to enforce AB 1482, which set the base rent year as January of 2020. So that is the year, that is that rent level has to be set so that we can compare future increases uh, to that. Our proposed rental registry covers all units. It's not intended to, you know, not cover some type of unit. Everybody is supposed to be registered. That way we have all of the same information for every rental unit. Um, we are gonna ask for rent information. We're gonna ask how much do you charge your tenant? And we wanna know that so that next year when you raise rents um, and your tenant says, they're raising my rents higher than what the state law allows or higher than what a future rent red, uh, rent um, uh, <laughs> um, rent stabilization ordinance would allow. We have a way of knowing if it meets the requirements or not. And it actually also charges a fee that would cover the, our actual costs. It's not intended to raise money to support staff, but it does cover the staff costs. Um, we have publicly said that that's about $25 per unit per year, um, but it's that's not what we, that's not the final fee. The final fee will be based on a fee study, and that fee study will be done um, and conducted after a procurement for that service, as well as the procurement for the database, which will probably take us at least a year to do both of those things. So the final fee will come back to the board for adoption before it's set in stone. And right now the fee is not set in the ordinance. It's just stated that a fee will be charged. So some of the outstanding questions Supervisor Tam asked, um, and this doesn't go over all of them. I didn't have a chance to uh, spend a lot of time on, on those questions. So I did try and raise up the ones that I could quickly ask and I will respond completely to those questions 
in writing before the end of the week. So one of the questions was how will privacy concerns be dealt with? So as I mentioned, we're going to have to procure the database. Um, and so I'm not sure what database has what type of privacy concerns um, or, or safeguards. And so we will have to include that as one of the criteria in the RFP. And we'll have to make sure that we vet the provider really carefully. Um, it is definitely our goal to make sure that privacy concerns are addressed but that's an IT issue. I'm not an IT person. Um, so I'm not sure that I would be able to, you know, accurately talk about what kind of IT privacy uh, laws and requirements are out there. But we will definitely include that as part of the criteria for evaluating any database. Um, one of the questions was, why can't we just use the assessor's data? So the assessor data is parcel level data. It can tell us the name of the property owner, but it doesn't have an email address. It can tell us whether the property owner lives on site or lives off site because the mailing address is either the same property or a different property. But it doesn't tell us if it's actually a rental unit or if perchance the homeowner doesn't want the mail coming to their house and they're sending it to um, you know, a PO box. So this that data can't confirm that it's a rental property. Um, you know, the other issue is we don't know if there's a property management company, whether or not we can contact that property management company. Um, we don't know how many bedrooms in every property, and we don't necessarily know the size of the units. So the assessor parcel data says that this is a single family home, a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, or five or more units. So if we want to know if that's got 20 units on it, or 50 units or 12 units, we won't know. It'll just say five or more units. So that's the kind of stuff that um, we will get from the assessor, but it's not the whole answer and it doesn't solve all of the problems. Michelle, um, excuse me for interrupting. Um, are you able to pull up uh, county form BOE 571-R and the county says, that's our apartment house owner agents of the new construction and or change of ownership form? Um, I can't pull that up right now. I can take a look at that uh, later, but that's not something that I can. Well, it, we, we don't have to do it this minute, but uh, most of when I look at that form, it contains the information you, you just said it doesn't contain, though. Well, so I will have to look at that. I will have to look at that, but I'm not aware of that form. Like, maybe I've seen it, maybe I haven't. I don't necessarily know that form number. It asks for the apartment units, the number of units, the rent, and the email addresses, and, and the things that uh, you would typically need in this registry. But we can talk about it later. Okay, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, the other thing that the database is going to do is track issues over time. So, for instance, if there are code enforcement issues on the site and um, we have had tenant complaints and we've had to send out a code enforcement um, staff person, the database will record that data and then we'll know year over year if that is um, a property that needs significant work. Is it a property that um, the landlord has been taking really good care of or not really good care of? And we'll understand that information just by being able to track the data in the database. 
Um, one of the questions was why include the requirement for a written lease? So currently landlords have the option of offering a written lease or not offering a written lease. It's up to them. They can choose. Um, we were quite surprised to hear from the community that there are lots of landlords who do not offer written leases. And so one of the um, consistent complaints we heard is that um, folks have rented units on a verbal agreement and that when they've asked for a written lease, they've not been offered one. So we added the language that requires that the landlord provide a written lease if asked. So if a landlord's going to offer a written lease, that's up to them. Um, you know, if they do that as a standard practice, this really doesn't change their, uh, you know, their situation. But if a tenant says, I want a written lease, um, then this ordinance would require that the landlord come up with a written lease. Uh, one of the questions was, how will the owners and tenants be notified? And if the board approves this, we will go ahead and adopt a outreach and engagement plan, and we will implement that you know, shortly after we're ready to kick this whole thing off. The next ordinance is Just Cause. And I want to pause for just a moment and really talk about you know, the eviction moratorium has really made just cause, um, you know, we haven't needed to worry about it because the eviction moratorium has pretty much stopped all evictions. Um, but the eviction moratorium is about to end. We expect the public health officer to end the public health emergency on Tuesday. So our eviction moratorium will be ending very soon. Um, what we have seen is that in the data and the newspaper articles and the information that we've you know, surveyed is that since the eviction moratoriums have ended in other jurisdictions, the evictions have gone up significantly. And so um, for instance, uh, in Contra Costa County, there's one filing for every 116 households. And in Santa Clara County, it's one for every 195 households. Um, and it's 40% higher than what the, what the evictions were pre-pandemic. So we are expecting a spike. I did hear one uh, speaker say that the spike isn't there, but we have studies and we have newspaper articles out in the community that indicate that's not true. Um, I, I can't debate that with someone because I haven't actually driven to Contra Costa County Courthouse and I haven't asked but um, somebody else did that. And I am relying upon that newspaper article to help inform me and my staff what we think the policies are and what the policies should be in order to address those issues. Um, so why is Just Cause important? Just Cause is important because without a local Just Cause ordinance, no tenants, you know, or no tenants in single family homes are protected. No tenants who have been in their home for less than a year are protected and tenants who live in units that are less than 15 years old are not protected. And therefore, um, they are at risk. And if we have a local just cause ordinance, uh, tenants will not arbitrarily lose their housing. They will be evicted because they have broken rules, they've not paid their rent. Um, and there are 13 reasons why they can be evicted. It's not impossible to evict someone. There are reasons, rational reasons. Um, so this ordinance ensures that those rational reasons are followed. So why a local ordinance rather than just the state ordinance or the state law? 
um, all tenants will be provided with protection. And um, it treats all tenants equitably and equally. And it makes sure that everyone has the same rules to abide by, including landlords and including tenants. Consistency is really critical. How does it, how is it different? Um, so as I mentioned, it treats tenants living in single family homes or multifamily property that is less than 15 years old or tenants who've only got six months or however long they've been in the unit, they're all treated the same and they all have access to the same state, state ad adopted protections. Um, in addition, it includes three months of relocation rather than one month of relocation. Um, it allows a tenant to return to the unit after a landlord has had to remodel the unit for health and safety reasons. Um, it gives them that opportunity to come back to their home. And I think this is really also very important. It, it requires a landlord to cover temporary relocation in case of emergency. And I think, you know, we are seeing uh, a perfect example of this in Oakland right now where the Coliseum Connections property is offline since the, uh, the December storms. And 110 households are living in motels right now. And everyone's scrambling, trying to help them. But when there is an emergency and a tenant is displaced, uh, you know, there has to be some assistance to help them stay housed or, or land somewhere safely. So um, this ordinance includes those emergency type provisions. So why are more stringent requirements um, necessary? And again, you know, some of our tenants are not protected. Uh, so without, without this, um, and at the end of the eviction moratorium, without just cause, tenants in single family homes um, will be disproportionate, and who are mostly families, they will be disproportionately impacted. And why should we include single family homes? Um, and we've heard a lot that there is, that this is burdensome uh, to landlords. And I, I really think the question is, why is following the state law around evictions and um, following those 13 just causes, why is that burdensome? Um, this is really stopping landlords for, from evicting people for no cause. And I think that while it's important to allow small landlords to have some amount of um, security in how they're running their property, and if the eviction moratorium hadn't happened, it, it really does become a question of, well, well why? <laughs> why? Why not protect the tenants? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, so what kind of loopholes are we trying to protect from? So like one of the loopholes that we heard about a lot is the idea that under 1482, um, an owner can say, hey, I'm moving into the unit and you need to move now. And that's under the owner move-in portion of 1482. But the owner doesn't actually have to end up moving in. <laughs> they, can, they can say they're going to move in, but there's no follow-up and no surety that um, the tenant can come back if they don't move in. And so our ordinance allows tenants to come back if the landlord doesn't actually move in. Um, same thing with uh, renovations. If, if, they're, if they're asked to move out because the property has to be renovated, and the renovation doesn't actually occur, tenants get to move back. 
There was a question about why affordable housing projects were exempted and they're not. So just to clarify, affordable housing projects also have to abide by all these rules. Um, and then how will owners and tenants be notified? And it's the same. We intend to uh, implement a, a public engagement, outreach and engagement plan for, for both of these ordinances. So requests for criminal background checks. The purpose of this is to provide a fair opportunity for formerly incarcerated folks to have access to housing and to not be discriminated against because of their background. Um, background, criminal background checks, not just background checks, I apologize, I should say criminal background checks are generally prohibited and it applies to all forms of housing and it can consider factors directly related to being a good tenant. How is your credit? Do you have an income? What's your, his your tenant history like? What is your FICO score? Um, they may review the sex offender registry uh, within parameters. Um, we exempted homes that owners were already in. So if a, if a, if a owner was living on site, um, several types of exempted. And um, property owners who are renting out rooms or if within their own home or a tenant who has a subtenant, those folks are um, exempt. So what evaluation criteria can be used? It's the standard evaluation criteria that you would use when you were looking at whether or not a tenant could afford to pay your rent, looking at credit checks, past tenant history, employment history, et cetera. And how can a landlord protect their rights when a sublessor violates the lease? Um, landlords have all of the rights that exist within their lease with their tenant. And um, one of the things that continues to come up is this misunderstanding that uh, you cannot sub, you know, you can't say no to a sublessor. And that is a and that's not how we interpret this, this ordinance. And that's not what we understood this ordinance to state. Um, and I know that, the, that there are several landlords that disagree with that. But at this point, we understand the way our ordinance to read that is that if a landlord requires that um, a, a, a subtenant apply and fill out an application, then that's what that subtenant has to do. You cannot discriminate against that subtenant. You cannot tell them that they can't move in because they have a criminal history, but you can look at their income and you can look at their credit and you can say, I don't allow subtenants if that's what your lease says. Uh, and that's leftover. And so I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you that, for that presentation. Uh, the one question I had um, it has to do with like the enforcement on fair chance. Uh, as I understand it, um, SB 731 allows almost old, old convictions to be permanently sealed once the person has fully completed their sentence and has gone like four years without contact with the justice system. And so if, some, if somebody was looking I mean, how do you enforce forcing people not to look at a background check? Is, is that what is the question I'm having? Um, 
what, 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 yeah, what our ordinance says is that you may not consider, you may not consider a criminal background at, when you are making an offer. Essentially, you get to evaluate your tenant based on all of these other criteria. And um, if you are ready to make an offer and you like this person and you say to them, I would like to check your criminal history, the tenant has the ability to say yes or no at that point. And if they say no, and then you check it, and then you withdraw your offer, um, that would be considered discrimination. And that would be something that the tenant could sue you over. And that's really how that flow would work. You are allowed to ask your tenant, your, your prospective tenant, uh, to check the criminal background, but you have to make an offer first based on the other criteria. And if after you've checked, you want to withdraw that offer, the question really is why? Why do you want to check it? Why, why do you want to withdraw it? And you want to withdraw it because you've checked the criminal history and now you don't feel comfortable. And that's what the ordinance is meant to stop. So, so um, this is a complaint driven. So if the tenant feels that they've been discriminated once the offer has been made and it was drawn because of a, a criminal background check, which with records that got sealed, they, they would have to complain through the court system or through the county? Um, it's, it's through the court system, um, but the courts would rely upon our ordinance to, in, to enforce it. Our ordinance would give the courts the grounds to make a ruling. And then there are the exemptions for sex offenders, right? And the registry. Yep. yep. There's an exemption for sex offenders and there's, um, you know, other, some other limited factors within there. I couldn't spout those off. In the, in the immediate moment, but within the ordinance, it allows for, for checking that. Okay. I, I appreciate uh, your indulgence in answering some of those questions. Uh, you know, at this point, let me just open it up for public comment, unless Supervisor or President Miley has any other questions. Looks like he disappeared from the screen. President Miley lost connection and he's um, getting back on. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, let me just open it up for public comment. Okay, we'll start in person. First speaker in person. You have two minutes. Hola, buenas noches. Estoy aquí representando mi comunidad para que pasen la ordenanza. Me llamo Nancy. Vivo en Perfume, área no incorporada, somos trabajadoras. Vivo con miedo de ser desalojada injustamente. Un momentito. Recolectado firmas, conocí a Francisco. Me contó que su hogar hubo un incendio, buscó ayuda y ningún abogado lo pudo ayudar. Solo en área no incorporada. Hello, uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Nancy, and I would like to uh, promote that this um, measure be passed. 
and I am a person that has been displaced uh, here in the community. I would like to also say that uh, a, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, had a fire in his house, and he was displaced, and he has not received the correct help. Ahora, para todos los inquilinos del área no incorporada. Muchas gracias. And I would like to uh, ask for help for every tenant of this unincorporated area. Thank you very much. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, David Stark. Uh, good evening, I'm David Stark with the Bayeast Association of Realtors. Our office is located in Pleasanton and I'm an Alameda County resident. I, I do wanna share some thoughts about these ordinances, but first I listened in on the public comments about the previous agenda item, particularly concerns about zoning land for more residential development. That's that's a tough subject for current residents in the unincorporated county communities and for decision makers given the unpopularity of residential development. So if for whatever reason you can't rezone land for rental housing or more rental housing can't be developed, then it is absolutely critical to preserve the current supply of rental housing. Any policies that might force a rental housing provider to sell their unit should be carefully considered, given that the impact that will have not only on displacing current tenants, but also on ultimately reducing the supply of rental housing. And the three ordinances you're discussing this evening will reduce the supply of rental housing. Supervisor Tan, we really appreciate you asking about the process and how we got here. Just one observation. The process has consistently failed to acknowledge the impact of COVID-19 has had on smaller rental housing providers. It changed since the pre-pandemic stakeholder outreach, yet assumptions by some county officials about the realities of providing housing in Alameda County, frankly, didn't change and aren't reflected in the ordinances you'll be ultimately voting on. Specifically, the impact of three years of the eviction moratorium hasn't been factored into the ability for housing providers to continue and to continue under the three proposed ordinances. Statewide productions, yeah, pretty much ignored as well, aside from desires to be more restrictive than state law, and the process has ignored the impact that more aggressive restrictions will have on housing providers. Please take this perspective into consideration uh, when you're taking action on these ordinances. Thanks. Next in person, you have two minutes. Uh, hello, my name is Johan Corona. I live in Fairview, uh, part of the unincorporated area. I've been working with my Eden voice to collect signatures in uh, for a petition in support of the Just Cause Ordinance. Uh, we have collected over 130 here in San Lorenzo in the unincorporated area. Our community is in support of the Just Cause Ordinance passing. We want you to vote yes to protect our community here in the unincorporated area. We are sick and tired of these people being abused by landlords that just um, don't, don't they fight loopholes in these in the AB um, law. So. We want you to vote yes, please. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. I'm here. Hello? Yes. All right. The Fair Chance Housing Ordinance does not promote public safety. Without a criminal background check, one is unable to learn if a potential tenant might have committed criminal acts like assault and battery, theft, and property damage. 
Allowing such people into rental units puts the property and landlord at risk. Even worse, these ordinances are also anti-tenant. Callers from the previous meetings already give examples of how tenants with criminal histories physically assaulted the neighbors who are tenants themselves. Neighboring law-abiding tenants will have their physical safety and personal belongings jeopardized as a result. So how exactly does the removal of criminal background checks protect law-abiding tenants who might be living next to the criminal tenant? It doesn't make any sense to me. Remember, mom and pop housing providers are going to sell their rental units to single-family homeowners instead of renters in response to the eviction moratorium. They now know it's too risky to be a landlord and they'll leave the rental market. For potential investors who are interested in buying rental properties, do you really think that they're going to have incentive to enter into the rental business if you tell them that they can't do criminal background checks for tenants? I already described these ordinances to liberals who are not landlords themselves, and they even say that's crazy. What you'll see is a net loss of rental units and the housing crisis will worsen. Potential tenants are then going to have an even harder time finding housing. You know, I have a question for the tenant advocates. How are any of these ordinances going to increase the amount of rental units on the market when these ordinances increase liabilities and make the landlords simply stop renting out to people out of fear? Thank you. Next caller in-house. Good evening, supervisors. My name is Leo Estomado with my Eden voice representing unincorporated area working families. And I live in district three. First, I wanna give my condolences to the loss of supervisor Richard Vai on behalf of my Eden voice. Supervisor was a champion for working families and we're all devastated with this loss. When we started this campaign, we received a call from a national family. They were renters for over 10 years out of a single family home. They just asked for the toilet to be repaired, something that they could have done themselves. The next day they received an eviction notice to leave. Four years later today, there's finally an ordinance to prevent scenarios like that no fault eviction that family experienced. A just cause expansion is a foundational law for residents in our area. It was recommended through a multi-agency county committee, HCD, code enforcement, and public health. I say it's foundational because all tenants deserve this right to be given proper notice when they're evicted. The problem here, the problem here is if all tenants aren't included, if this renters and a single family home comes to us with an eviction issue, we have to ask, well, what type of housing do you have? You're not included based on how many units your apartment has. This further increases inequality in the diverse barrier we love. It's a foundational law because it gives assurance for tenants to trust and participate in other county programs. If we pursue a pilot inspection program, for example, tenants are once again not assured that they have a home if they raise any problems or they go on. So it doesn't address the immediate fear of why we started this campaign in the first place. So please pass these laws. It's action is way overdue. Protect all tenants and please don't create further inequality. Thank you. Paul, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Julio. Hi, good, good evening folks. Uh, my name is Julio Contreras. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hi. Yes. My name is Julio Contreras. I grew up in the Cherryland uh, Hayward border, um, and I am a resident of South Hayward. Um, and yes, my condolences to the passing of Richard Valle, um, who was a great champion and leader. Um, what I want to share with you all tonight is just how powerful and how strong Eden area has come through. Um, we're going to have speakers that are going to talk about the work that they've been doing, canvassing, getting signatures, and uh, 
Supervisor Lena Tam's uh, district. Um, Supervisor Miley already knows how the people, and what I, what I mean by the people is the majority of tenants, the majority of renters um, in the area. So please, whenever y'all use that word, the public, understand that 60% of the unincorporated area are renters. Um, we're tired. We're tired of living in the environmental injustice conditions, mold, um, water seeping through ceilings, uh, water coming out of the toilets. These are uh, common day-to-day -day living conditions for folks. And as Leo shared, getting evicted is also just a common thing in the unincorporated area. These are facts. These are things that um, are complaints that happen on the daily. Um, and we just really want to stand up for um, the unincorporated area. I'm a community organizer with Might and Voice, and that's how I've been able to um, be witness to a lot of these issues. Um, but I also just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I really strongly support, we really strongly support strong tenant protections, um, uh, just cause the way that it is without the amendments that Supervisor Miley keeps pushing for, um, we understand them. You know, we've communicated them to our people, to the community. We've communicated them to regular day folks, and they have so many questions. And so we're just really asking what I want to focus on. Folks will touch on other points. I want to focus on respect. I want to focus on a good relate on what relationship means and what transparency means. And so, Supervisor uh, Miley, I want to make sure that hopefully you can answer a question, which is, did you know that the amendments that you're putting forth exclude? over 75% of the tenants and the renters in the area. So thus, these amendments that you're proposing and the way you're, you're pushing for just cause is not going to actually protect the majority of our people. And if so, you know, why, what's your reasoning behind um, not leaving it that way? And Supervisor Lena Tam, as far as relationships go, we hope you can be in touch with us. We hope that you'll be transparent and very clear with what your objectives and what your intentions actually are. And that that aligns with what the people want, what the community wants, what tenants have been asking for for many years now. Thank you. Once again, my name is Sandra Macias. I'm a renter in Castro Valley. Um, I live in a multi-generational home. I've got my father-in-law living with me. He did a second round of cancer treatment this last month waiting for a liver transplant. And I've heard Supervisor Miley talk about wanting to protect seniors. Um, I live in a single family home. I rent a single family home and I'm currently not protected under state law. That's my family. So we're not a bargaining chip. My father-in-law is not a bargaining chip. My kids are not bargaining chips. I deserve to be protected and so does the rest of my family. So if you wanna talk about protecting seniors, you really gotta consider that when you're excluding single family homes, those are multi-generational homes where a lot of seniors live with their kids because they can't afford it. My father-in-law has one pill that's keeping him alive. It's like $3,000 out of, you know, a thousand out of pocket. He can't afford to pay for a special diet, pay rent, pay these pills. Like that's not possible. So they would move in with, you know, with me, my husband. And that's what a lot of single family homes are. Um, you also talked about the right to landlords uh, saying they're gonna move in and don't. I rented a family, a single family home for five years. And that happened to me. They said that they were going to move out. They never did. They just brought in another family, raised the rent, and kicked us out. And we had like 60 days to figure something out. We are vulnerable, and we're not bargaining chips. We deserve to be protected. I ask both of you to do what's right for most of the people that you represent. We are here to, you know, at your will, basically. We don't have 
elected officials that we don't have a city system to advocate for us. You know, I think that you mentioned that we're trying to force a conversation. You're one of our only representatives. I don't vote for you, but you represent me. So you have a special responsibility. I hope that you consider that moving forward in your relationship with the community members here in the unincorporated area. Thank you. Oh, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Ron? My name is Ron, and I live in Castro Valley. I also own a rental house there. Looking at the rental registry, most of the information can be found in other county documents. The proposal states that a fee will be charged for this registry, one half paid by the owner and one half paid by the tenant. Hopefully, this provision will not be modified in the future to have the fee only paid by the landlord. Also mentioned is possible business license. Who's going to pay for it? All information on the registry will wind up on a database with the county. With today's cyber criminals, I can see personal information for both the tenant and the owner will be at risk. Next, we have just cause. This proposal allows subletting without the owner's consent. So the tenant can sublet, not tell the owner, and as long as the number in the house does not exceed the state regs, on number of people in the house, it's okay. Not only is this unfair to the owner, but also to the neighbors of the tenants. In one of the proposals is the statement, they are for the welfare of the public. How is the public served where, <clears throat> when the tenant can sublet basically to anybody? I'm also wondering how the county will make sure there's no overcrowding in the rental unit. Then we have the section where in no fault eviction, the owner has to give the tenant three months rent. If one is looking for a reason to sell their unit, this is a perfect example. Lastly, we have second chance. Here, owners are being asked to do something government housing does not allow. Family members who have criminal records are not allowed in public housing. With this proposal, owners are not allowed to find out if the family members have a criminal record. As stated previously, this is for the welfare of the public. This proposal puts neighbors at risk, whether the unit is a house or an apartment. The regulation wants us to believe that housing is the most important factor in determining if you want to stay out of jail. I say the company you keep is also an important factor. I requested you to know on all of these regulations. Thank you for your time. Next speaker in house. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Supervisor Tam. Good evening, um, everyone here. I'm very happy to be here to be able to be um, heard because I'm representing not myself, I'm representing the tenants I've spoken to. Tenants from the unincorporated area who truly, truly, um, I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm a homeowner. I've been a homeowner in Hayward for 17 years, and I was a homeowner in Oakland for 10 years, but many, many years of my life, a tenant, a tenant in San Francisco, and a tenant who remembers what the struggles are for tenants. Just wanted to share why I'm so happy to be here today, mainly because I want to ask that we honor Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Bae, who have always been championing our working families and the families that I've met here within the last three years. Of all the 17 years that I've been here, I had not had the experience until I started be becoming an active member with my Eden Voice and Eden Renters United, where I got to see another side of life here. I, I, as I said, I, I, I'm a homeowner and I don't, I never heard what the struggles were of the tenants. And it reminded me of all my, our struggles when we were tenants in San Francisco and partly in some of the time of, in Oakland. Our tenants are 
really, really trying their best to comply with all the rules, to pay their rent, to not be a burden to the landlords. I know that there are, just like Michelle mentioned, there are bad actors on both sides. Fortunately for me, I'm honored to be here to represent a short story of one of our families that's lived in, that's living in a, a single house for the last six years with her children and her husband. I believe it's a family of five, three children and two adults. Um, when I first met her two years ago, she was having a problem with the leaking toilet. She let her landlord know he visited the, the apartment and said he would take care of it later. Two years later, that never that repair never came. She hired someone to fix the toilet and um, it wasn't very costly, but unfortunately she did not want to bother her landlord because she was in fear of either him deciding to not have her as a tenant or retaliation by raising her rent. There are many, many stories like this. My time is up. I just wanted to say that we are very passionate about our work because we hear directly from tenants who truly, truly want to stay in this area, in the unincorporated area, want their children to become fruitful citizens, want them to be able to drive and continue giving back to this community, these communities. Thank you. Oh, hi, my name is Dan again. I heard from the presenter before they said, because we need the protection, the price, the rent in uh, uh, incorporated area is too high. I'm just telling you, if you pass those policies, the rental gonna be higher, much higher, because more bureaucracy, more uh, higher price. Who is gonna pay? We and a tenant. So those uh, tenant activate. If you want something, probably you get the opposite way. We know the good intention, but you probably get a better result. We heard tenant protection all the time. We never ever heard landlord protection. They 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 said you guys said both protection. We never heard landlord protection at all. We never get reached to BAHN again. Oh, we are BAHN Business and Housing Network. Please reach us uh, uh, at gmail.com if you have any questions. San Jose adopted all those uh, housing policies. They grow their housing department from three to 30 people. That's the only purpose for the for the policy. It's not for the tenant at all. It's not for the tenant. Tenant, you guys are hostage to the housing housing department to grow the bureaucracy. I'm just telling you. So regarding to the rental registry, it definitely is a concern a lot about the privacy, including landlord and tenant. No criminal checking, that's just kidding. Office, you know, government, if they hire want to hire employee they have have to do the background check why landlord cannot do that and also regarding the most important just cause eviction they said the number has increased a lot think about it three years without any protection those number 0 0.8 0 0.5 should be divided by three not the that the only the number you said forty percent increase. You should divide it by three. That means the eviction number has been decreased. Three years Thank without you. Uh, eviction.
Hello, my name is Ruth Morales. I live in an incorporated area by Royal Avenue. I recently have been learning about the Just Cause Ordinance, and I realized that a lot of people have been hurting, hurting and hurting, and I'm speaking up for those people right now. I went to go get some signatures because I'm part of my Eden Voice. I stand with them too. And as I went to go get signatures, I saw so many people, so many people living in horrible conditions that you cannot even imagine. Could you imagine going to those houses right now? They were in really bad conditions. That they even complained. They were they were just hurt. I mean, they have to pay for the own conditions that they're not even responsible of. They just been there. They just they have a lot of hard time, and we need to support them. If you have the heart, please pass the Just Cause Ordinance. Please do it now. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Carol. Hi, my name is Carol Mahar. I am a renter for the past 20 years in Castro Valley. I'm a renter of a single family home that you would consider severely rent burdened. I'm speaking tonight, though, as a member, uh, board member on the Rental Housing Association of Southern Alameda County. Um, staff continues to cite tenant protections and ordinances from cities like Oakland, Berkeley, and Alameda. Uh, who have some of the worst rental markets. And they continue to ignore better, better examples like the Rent Review Board in the city of Fremont. So Supervisor Tam, I urge you to look into other better alternatives like the city of Fremont that are right here and that represent communities that are closer to the unincorporated areas than Oakland, Berkeley, and Alameda. Um, Supervisor Tam, I, I do want to thank you so much for having this meeting, for doing your research and trying to understand uh, these, these proposed ordinances. The rent registry, as you, I think, recognize is erroneous, expensive, and unnecessary since all of this information is already gathered in other areas. Staff talks about fee study and database development and outreach and engagement and all the thing, those things are going to cost money, which is eventually going to raise rental housing prices. Um, as far as the just cause evictions, please let's let AB 1482 have a chance to work. It came into to play and was only there for a few months before uh, the eviction moratorium. Let's see what happens. The uh, I think it's going to work. I think it, the eviction tsunami, uh, like another person said, the Mercury article says the exact opposite of what staff is trying to say to you. And the Rental Housing Association has provided information to the supervisors about why single family homes should be excluded and um, that protection shouldn't start on day one. And finally, as far as fair chance goes, there are unintended consequences such as FICO score requirements going through the roof, which would enable uh, renters like me to be disqualified. What victims' rights groups were consulted? I know the tenants were. What about the victims? Look into those loopholes for the sexual offenders. Thank you. Buenas noches, mi nombre es Teresita, soy mamá líder de padres guerreros, familias con disabilidades y miembro activo voluntario de Maiden Boys y de Inquilinos Unidos. Hello, uh, hi everyone, um, my name is Teresita. I'm a member of the group Familias Unidas and I'm also a member, a volunteer of a group that helps with the disabled. La razón por que estoy aquí, vengo en la voz de todas las familias trabajadoras, las familias que 
son y van a ser desprotegidas por, por todas estas um, cosas que están pasando. Hemos escuchado diariamente a todas estas familias que llaman y piden ayuda porque les da miedo um, decir sus demandas contra los dueños de casa. And the reason I'm here is uh, to speak on behalf of the families who we feel are unprotected because of all the things that are ha happening, all the things that happen to them on a daily basis. They try to get help, but they don't receive the help because many of them are afraid to speak up and uh, they're afraid to say what's happening. Hemos presentado videos de familias que viven aquí en la área no incorporada, familias que son del parte del grupo, familias con disabilidades. Hemos presentado um, reales um, personas que inquilinos que les han aumentado mil dólares de renta. O sea, estos testimonios que hemos presentado son testimonios reales de nuestra comunidad. And we have seen the videos that testify to what's happening. Uh, especially videos from members of this group, from, uh, families with disabilities. These are real stories, real stories where we see actual tenants that have seen $1,000 in raised rent um, happen to them. Queremos que todos los inquilinos reciban las mismas protecciones contra los desalojos. Necesitamos proteger a todas nuestras familias que viven En las, en las viviendas unifamiliares también. And we want the same protections for all the families, uh, no matter who, where you're coming from. And not only protections for the tenants, but also uh, for families that live in single unit um, places. El supervisor Maile conoce nuestra comunidad, conoce nuestras necesidades, y usted, supervisora, también Le hemos presentado muchos testimonios, familias que necesitan el apoyo de ustedes de pasar todas estas protecciones. No dejen a nuestras familias atrás. Gracias. Supervisor Miley, very well knows, very well knows what our needs are. You, uh, Miss Supervisor, also know. We have presented to you very various testimonies and stories about uh, things that have happened to us. Thank you very much for your time. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Charles. Hello, my name is Charles Fasano of San Lorenzo. Uh, I'm really glad that Michelle opened tonight by pointing out that there's a lot of vitriol. There's a lot of division here on both sides. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of money on the table. And it's very hard to find common ground, but that's what we've got to do. Uh, as you've heard, there's a lot of uh, feeling that um, former uh, criminals, people who have been incarcerated, are most likely uh, going to just keep up their criminal ways no matter what. So we ought to be able to exclude them. There has uh, always been prejudice against people of color. Uh, there has been a lot of freedom of, um, of landlords and a lot of respects over the years in the unincorporated area to do pretty much what they want to do. I know because I've rented in Ashland. I've rented in Castro Valley. I've seen both sides of the coin. And there's an awful lot of good 
landlords and good tenants. I want to find middle ground. I've heard good ideas on both sides. I've heard bad ideas and prejudice come out. And I think it's about time that we really address uh, issues that can solve problems rather than creating the continued division that I keep hearing. Thank you. Next caller in house. Is that the caller? You can speak. Can you hear me? There you go. My name is Carlos Archuleta. I'm speaking again tonight, but one of the important things that I think I need to say to everybody else so that way we understand this is some of the myths or lies that some of the landlords are saying. One of the first things they're saying is if we put these rules or regulations on these landlords, landlords won't invest in the Bay Area. But the Bay Area's um, uh, real estate is one of the most stable investments in the world. This is not Iowa. This is not Minnesota. This is not Milwaukee. There will never not be a demand for, for people wanting to invest in here. So to put this scary insinuation that if we regulate landlords, no one will want to invest or move here. That's, that's a lie. And if you know anything about this economy, you understand that that's nonsense. The second issue is it comes about slumlords. Landlords have to be incentivized to, um, to fix up the property. That's the definition of a slumlord. And that's the problem when you have, when you're listening to these investors who don't even live in the area, they don't care what the actual property looks like. If it doesn't make dollars to them, it doesn't make sense. No matter how crappy the property is and, and how, how it devalues the surrounding properties because it's so crappy. Um, another one of the issues is that landlords try to make themselves look like victims. Landlords could sell their homes at any single time and get a $1 million profit. Renters can make the payments on that house that they're selling for 30 years and they miss one payment and they're evicted. When a landlord, they can sell their home or if they have two homes, get one or $2 million. Here's my last one I wanna end on. It's about just cause. This is why it's important, just cause. Here in San Lorenzo, there are still rules on some of the books that says if you're a minority, you can't live here. So they can make up any excuse to kick you out if you're black or Latin. That's why we need just cause. And it doesn't matter what the state's laws are, they still got laws on the books that say minorities can't live here. We need that here. That is important. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's for people that look like me and this young lady over here. They judge us on our skin color and won't allow us there. That's why it is mandatory for just cause. And the good landlords, because there is good landlords, they don't care about that stuff. They're like, hey, we follow those rules anyways. We, we don't have our people living in upside down trailer cards. We, we, we don't have problems with this. It's the bad landlords that don't live here that are trying to scare us out of our rights. Thank you again for listening to us. You guys have a great night. Well, Ethan, can you hear me? Ethan? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ethan Silverstein. I'm a tenant attorney with ACE. Um, first of all, I'd like to express my condolences to Supervisor Valle, who's a true champion and representative of the people. Um, Supervisor Tam, thank you for inviting me to this meeting tonight. Uh, as of now, you have refused to meet with many of the experts in the field. I just want to make a public record of that. Uh, you said that you would have questions tonight. I noticed that no follow-up questions were asked on Michelle's presentation in regard to the Just Cause Ordinance. 
Um, I assume that is because you are an expert on the ordinance and you are fully educated on the ordinance. Um, and I'm saying that because if we get to February 28th and we see, oh, I, I don't have enough information, I have too many unanswered questions, um, I just want to be very clear that we will not believe that, and that is because we have reached out to you on many occasions. And I invite any reporters on the call here to reach out to us to see all our numerous attempts to meet with Supervisor Tam. Um, so I just want to get that out there on the public record in this public forum to be very transparent. Uh, and Supervisor Miley, I know you want to exempt all single family homes. I just want to be very clear that this is not to help small landlords. Um, just because a property is small, it does not mean it's owned by a small landlord. 76% of the properties in unincorporated Alameda County are single family homes. And this law will have no effect on single family homes if they are exempt. Uh, so it's really a transparent attempt to make sure this law applies to as few tenants as possible. And the status quo is maintained into perpetuity um, and the really well-funded out-of-town landlords can continue to evict families for absolutely no reason. Thank you. Next caller, in-house. Hello, Chris Moore with East Bay Rental Housing Association. Um, I own a property, a single-family house uh, for 30 years in Cherryland and uh, rent that to a family of four. Um, below market, 30% below market rate. Um, had a couple of comments on... Uh, you know, these, these uh, ordinances. Um, so while HCD did spend a lot of time on the rental registry last year, we provided feedback. Um, that wasn't the case for the Fair Chance and Just Cause ordinances. Um, with those two ordinances, actually, uh, uh, let's see, President Carson forced those through. He wouldn't even let Dave, my, uh, Dave um, uh, Supervisor uh, Dave, he was not even allowed to put in any comments, which he was he was trying to make some amendments. But Carson wanted to get it done in December because he said the big elephant in the room is that Lana Tam's coming in and we don't know what's going to happen when we get there. So that was that was said, and that's an issue. Uh, and that's why you have a problem with these ordinances. Um, so rent registry, Michelle, I hate to say it, but look at my letter to you, East Bay Rental Housing uh, Association letter on April 21st of 2022. I just filled out the BOE 571R online. It's now online. It has 90% of the information that you're asking for in here. What it doesn't have is things like saying, we need all of the owners, uh, every, even if they own 10% of the property, we need to have all of their names and information. Why? What are they tracking there? Are you just trying to track rent or are you trying to track other things? So I think there's there's issues with a fair chance. Fair chance, please, Michelle and everybody, read SB 731. It solves the whole issue. It solves the whole, whole issue. Um, and uh, lastly, I think what needs to happen is obviously our input didn't get in, in these. We provided input. It did not get in. We need to sit down, Michelle, with East Bay Rental Housing Association, Bond, CAA, everybody with uh, uh, the uh, Rental Housing Association. Let's sit down and let's go through and understand why you exclude our comments. And we can give you the reasons why what you're trying to do here is going to backfire on everybody who spoke here. That's what it will do. It will hurt the housing community. Thank you. 
Hi, thank you for the opportunity to hear the voice of Lam Lord. Uh, for for learning the register, uh, I think uh, if we uh, require the landlord to do the, finally we uh, landlord will add the the this fee to the rental fee. And normally the rent the tenant will not cooperate to pay this fee. It is my experience, tenant will pay not pay. So this result owner will pay all this fee. So I oppose this uh, register. For the just the call eviction. This may be the another nightmare to the landlord. For right now, Alameda is so hard to do, to evict the tenant. Uh, I have a tenant. He always, she always uh, uh, to to uh, bully the other tenant and make the house very, very dirty, make house to waste most of the use utility. But this is not enough to evict her. If we use the just just call, uh, then the uh, some family is use his uh, primary family to rent some loan out, but if rent to loan out cannot uh, uh, to to uh, get the loan back, this is a uh, uh, very dangerous for the landlord. And for the background check, uh, this I I uh, also oppose for this because uh, if someone uh, coming to my house rent a house and then we cannot control this unit. He will bring other, many other uh, person in the house. It's out of control. This is, uh, it is really, uh, should be another uh, un unreasonable, it is unfair for the landlord. So I I hope it uh, can uh, both know to all this uh, protection, all this uh, audience. Thank you. Speaker. Good evening, everybody. My name is Tom Silva. I am a Cherryland landlord and an Eden Township resident. I have lived in Greater Eden Township my entire life. I've been in the rental housing industry for 45 years. I stand today to ask that you table as written, the just cause and rent registry for the reasons that many speakers have talked about. Most of the information that's available that they seek from rent registry is available from open sources. And unfortunately, it looks like HCD wants to be the regulator and, and make sure that all high student providers are guilty until proven innocent in their administration of that. As far as just cause, yes, AB 1482 was only in effect for two months when the pandemic hit. As a landlord, it is an economic disaster, disaster when I have to evict a tenant, easily 10, 15,000, sometimes $20,000. You say you can recover through higher rent? No, you don't. I would like to say, however, that there is an opportunity here to move forward with a modified fair chance ordinance. And I just passed out a fair chance ordinance that was worked through with the uh, uh, discussions we had um, about three weeks ago. I know there's more discussions coming up this Friday. Basically, it just says that as modified that you can't use criminal background checks as a reason to deny housing. It eliminates the ability for the unlimited subletting that was in the original ordinance. 
contrary to what Michelle says. It also exempts smaller landlords from this Ferguson issues. So I would ask that you consider making uh, voting no on all three ordinances on Tuesday, but to bring forward the modified fair chance ordinance so that we can address the futures of the formerly incarcerated and give them a helping hand to a better start with a new life. Thank you. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Rocio. Hola, buenas noches. Mi nombre es Esmeralda. Vivo en el área no incorporada y estoy aquí. También soy voluntaria en Inquilinos Unidos y me preocupa haber estado de cerca viendo las necesidades y las injusticias que pasan muchos de nuestros inquilinos y me gustaría que apoyaran lo que se votó en diciembre pasado, causa justa, oportunidad justa y registro de alquiler para proteger nuestras familias y que voten sí hoy, demostrando que apoyan a los inquilinos y a las familias de la clase trabajadora. Nuestras familias tienen derecho a vivir en paz. Nuestras familias son muchas de ellas inmigrantes y gente de color y tienen derecho a vivir en tranquilidad con la seguridad que no serán desalojados y así puedan evitar enfermarse de, de salud mental. Por mucho tiempo hemos estado olvidados y es momento que nuestra... Un momentito. Eh, eh, good evening, my name is Esmer Esmeralda. I also represent the non-incorporated area. I'm also a volunteer. I would like to talk about the needs and the injustices that are taking place. Um, I'm also a volunteer. I would like you uh, to support this um, this uh, measure and approve it. Uh, the one that we talked about last December, just cause measure, and to also support the registration of uh, tenants or of uh, registry of the special registry. Um, I would like you to support all tenants. Um, we have the right to live in peace. We, many of us are immigrants and people of color, and we have the right to live in peace and not to be uh, kicked out of our places. Continue. Por mucho tiempo hemos estado olvidados. Ya es momento que nos escuchen y que voten sí hoy para poder protegernos de cualquier desalojo. Muchas gracias. For a long time, we have been forgotten. So I'm asking you to vote yes uh, today uh, so that we uh, can be finally be protected. Thank you. And house speaker. Hello again, it's Derek Barnes from East Bay Rental Housing Association. Thanks again, it's a long night. Appreciate you guys being here. One correction. To be clear, renters aren't taking advantage of the imposed emergency mandate. They're just adhering to the law as it was written. Local legislators had two years to correct a single item in the health emergency mandate ordinance, which was prove COVID impact. That could have saved a lot of grief and a lot of distress, both on the rent rental owner side and on the renter side. Just wanted to establish that correction. Next, there are few experts in housing. I'm not an expert. I run a housing association, but I know that I'm not an expert. 
If a person has an invested, developed, financed, built, owned, operated, uh, maintained rental property, you can't claim to be an expert in housing. That's why it's so important to have the right people around the table when you're developing policy. I'm gonna repeat my strong recommendation earlier, and this is imperative to get interstakeholders participation in productive discussions together to understand why these impasses exist in the first place and to close the gaps when it comes to developing sound housing policy. Next, the surge in filings is because of a three-year backlog in eviction cases due to the eviction moratorium. Note, filings are, are different from actual displacements. I said this back in December. There hasn't been a tsunami of actual evictions, right? But there has been a surge in owner defaults and foreclosures. And the eviction moratorium will end, but what's next? We have to start thinking about that. ERAP in most Bay Area municipalities were woefully underfunded. Currently, we have a huge unpaid rent debt bubble. Some estimates say that Alameda County is, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and we need programs to address the massive debt bubble right away. And then finally, education is absolutely required, right? It's part of the solution to many of the egregious scenarios that some renters may have experienced. And I'm heartbroken, it's terrible. And if, rent, if uh, owners are doing that, rental owners are doing that, um, they are not ever members. And if they are, please call my office immediately and I think this makes a case for why associations like EBRA are so needed because we provide the support and the education and the resources so people are compliant. That's what we want. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes, Vicki. Uh, sí, buenas, buenas noches a todos. Este, mi nombre es Victoria, soy de la área no incorporada. Estoy aquí representando a la voz de mi comunidad, este, a, la, a la unidad trabajadora que ha trabajado en el tiempo de pandemia, en el tiempo de los incendios, en el tiempo de, de COVID. Estoy hablando por esas personas que están pidiendo causa justa, registro de vivienda y oportunidad justa. Lo que quisiera es que el que tiene unidad de departamentos o casas o para renta, ellos necesitan de los inquilinos para poder tener rentadas todos sus accesorios. Y si, y, y si hay inquilinos, ellos tendrán dinero en sus bolsillos. Y sin inquilinos no pueden tenerlo. Entonces los inquilinos también tenemos derecho a tener estas oportunidades de vivienda a causa justa. Entonces lo que queremos es protección para nuestros los inquilinos de nuestras áreas más que nada no incorporadas porque son las áreas que más están padeciendo sobre exceso de, de renta que les cobran no es un 5% ni un 10% es lo que quieren y, y lo que le guste al, al dueño en ese momento subir su renta Hello, my name is Victoria uh, Good evening I'm also representing the non-incorporated area I represent my community. I represent uh, people that have been workers um, through the pandemic, uh, through the many fires, through the hard times of COVID. 
um, I would like to uh, also support and say that I support um, all tenants um, that uh, rent different places. Uh, without tenants, uh, these spaces for rent would not be filled and there wouldn't be any tenants. So I would like uh, for you to think about giving us the opportunity to protect us. Uh, once again, for us who live in the non-incorporated area, also protect us from landlords that raise the rent for us. They just raise it um, without any criteria, without uh, giving any type of reasoning or any time any type of measure. Um, thank you once again. Thank you. Gracias. Any more in speakers? Caller, you're on the line. You have two minutes. Dolores? Hello? Yes, you have two minutes to speak. Hi, hello, my name is Dolores Tejada. I'm the director of organizing with East Bay Housing Organizations. We're an organization of, uh, of public officials, nonprofit housing developers, residents, service providers, uh, planners, professionals, and advocates. Um, I'm here to show my support for the efforts of Maiden Voice, who have been working tirelessly now for over four years uh, to raise this important issue uh, and, and to make sure that um, people in unincorporated Alameda County um, get protections because they are significantly underserved and underprotected. Uh, when, we, when we think about tackling the immense need for housing, uh, we use a three P's approach production, which is building more affordable housing, preservation, which is exist, um, protecting or preserving the, the existing housing that is affordable, and uh, protection, which means protecting tenants um, as one part of that P as well, as well as prevention, making sure that people who are currently housed do not lose their housing. This package is just one way that we can address the housing crisis. And it's not the only solution, but it is a groundbreaking start. Um, so I am urging uh, that we support this tenant protections package because it is long overdue in, in um, in the unincorporated area. And it is something that we um, we can do to protect families. Uh, the, the passage in particular, I wanna just name a couple things. Um, oftentimes, fair chance housing is actually to mitigate the damages of an over-criminalized system, especially the ones um, that are harming communities of color. Um, it is very, you know, it seems a little bit extreme to assume that every renter is going to be a criminal, and that's not the case. We want to continue to protect families. This is the way to do that. One moment, we're having technical difficulties.
Dolores, you're online. You have two minutes to speak. Okay, I thought it was already unmuted. Could you oh, not hear Dolores? Dolores has spoken already. Okay. Next caller. Thank you, Tona. The next caller is Paulina. You have two minutes to speak. Hola, muy buenas noches. Mi nombre es Paulina. Soy mi miembro de Maiden Voice. Buenas noches, este, este, Supervisora Chan. Lo primero es, quiero que honren, mi, eh, quiero que honren el legado de, de los supervisores de Chan y Valle. Que protejan a las familias de la clase trabajadora. Supervisora Lina, nosotros hemos pedido una oportunidad de que usted conozca a su comunidad. Hemos tocado su puerta. Hemos, hemos andado a veces en donde la necesidad nos ha hecho llegar para que usted nos diera esa oportunidad de conocerla y de que usted conozca su comunidad. Hemos trabajado bastante. Miley bien que lo sabe. En ese trabajo que nosotros hemos hecho, nos gustaría que usted se diera cuenta cuál es el trabajo que ha hecho la comunidad para pelear estos derechos que estamos haciendo. En, en los derechos que estamos haciendo es derechos a los inquilinos por esta causa justa, que su comunidad lo necesita. Lo necesita el por qué? Porque hemos llevado testimonios reales, testimonios fuertes, en donde usted, si usted se diera cuenta, a lo mejor se le, se le tocaría el corazón. No es como lo cuenten, no es como se lo cuenten. Es como usted mire de la preocupación de su comunidad. Al igual que Miley, le hemos platicado, hemos sacado eh, alguna fecha para que estemos ahí enfrente, de frente a frente, su comunidad y ustedes supervisores, pero no lo han hecho. Un momentito, por favor. Uh, hello, my name is Paulina, and I also uh, would like to uh, talk to you, Supervisor Chan, um, and I also represent uh, the group Maybe View. Um, I would like you to honor the legacy of Dr. Uh, of Supervisor Valle and Supervisor Chan. Uh, you would like, I would like you to think of us as families. Um, Supervisor Lina, we have tried knocking on your door. Uh, we have tried to arrive at your place so that you can know and know what our concerns are, uh, well, so you can know your community. Uh, we as workers want to fight for our rights. Uh, we need to have our rights. Um, our community has needs. Uh, we uh, tried our best to come to you so you can actually listen to our testimonies, our testimonies that are real and strong and, um, and not, are not just hearsay. Uh, we'll, we wanted you to listen to, for your heart to be touched, just like uh, Supervisor Miley. Uh, so you can listen to uh, everything that the community is proposing to you. We're coming to you and we ask you to listen to us. Prosiga. 
No sabemos el por qué no nos han dado esa oportunidad, pero sí queremos saber que sí nos están escuchando. El por qué, porque la voz del supervisor Valle, de, supervisor, de la supervisora Chan, es algo en donde esa voz se tiene que llevar a cabo, no se tiene que ignorar. Eh, porque ellos no ignoraban a la comunidad, ellos los escuchaban, ellos estaban a favor. ¿Por qué? Porque los testimonios fueron muchos, no fueron testimonios pocos, no. Y aquí seguimos en donde la comunidad sigue, sigue levantando esa voz. En, okay. la voz en Un momentito, por favor. Definitivamente queremos que pase esa ley de protección de causa justa. Si ustedes como supervisores, se preocupan por su comunidad, esta ley va a progresar y va a pasar. Y gracias. Les agradezco mucho de que nos estén escuchando, pero nos han escuchado mucho tiempo, Supervisor Miley. Y esto no ha dado un fin. Supervisora Chalina, estás escuchándonos Ahorita nada más en la voz. Nos gustaría que nos escucharas en persona y conozcas a tu comunidad antes de tomar una decisión. Muchas gracias. Um, I don't know why you have not given us the opportunity to reach you, uh, but we would like you to listen to us. Um, like uh, Supervisor Valle and Supervisor Chan listen to us. They did not ignore us. Uh, they listen to us. They listen to our various, various testimonies. Uh, they listen to our voice. Um, we would like you to approve this uh, protection law, this cause, just cause law. I would really thank you if you can do this for, for us. Um, right now, Supervisor Lina, you're listening to us through this other voice but I would like you to take the time for, to, for you to actually meet us in person. Thank you very much. Chairman, you're online. You have two minutes to speak. Hi, uh, my name is Sherman. I'm a landlord in Fremont. And also, I'm also minority and belong to people of color. So I kind of agree with uh, one of the previous speaker, um, basically saying that uh, we have, we here we all hear that so we have so much disagreements on these uh, ordinances. So we really should uh, really consider like have those uh, ordinances modified or amended before we discuss that. Right? For example, I don't quite quite buy the logic of some of the the previous speakers saying that uh, like these ordinances are long overdue. So basically, are we saying that uh, we don't have a due process for eviction? No, we don't, right? In fact, we have the most restrictive moratorium in, uh, in the country right now. So we still have this uh, unjust moratorium in place right now. So before we discuss those uh, this things, let's like discuss the termination of the moratorium. And uh, if like uh, I also hear that uh, like uh, we uh, some people some of them are worried about uh, like this eviction tsunami, right? 
if that's the case, we really should lift the moratorium as soon as possible. Because the later we keep this notorious uh, moratorium, the more like, uh, you know, those uh, cases will be like accumulated. That's my point. Let's first like uh, just terminate, discuss at least, start to discuss the termination of the moratorium before we even discuss those things. Barbara, you're online and you have two minutes to speak. Hello, I'm Barbara Fields. And like I said before, I'm a small housing provider. As a small housing provider or landowner, we want to maintain our properties and we want to maintain our tenants too and make sure that we have a good relationship with them and that their housing, can, because they're, they pay us and that's how we pay our mortgage and our taxes and all of the other things on our properties. So it's been difficult for all of us during this pandemic. I've had tenants that haven't paid too. I've gone to them. I've tried to work it out with most of them. And I have where I accepted a partial payment or it was a hardship for them. And I worked through these things. We are, we're all hurt by the pandemic and the moratorium. I think we need to get through this first and then work on working together through this housing crisis. Thank you. Yes, hi, good evening. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. I'm an immigrant. And I've been hearing a lot of immigrantes. I'm from Asia and I worked in the fields picking tomatoes con los Latinos también por muchos años. Estábamos trabajando juntos. And I just want to say that what you're hearing from the immigrants are sound to me like they're not legit. Legit. They're activists that don't represent the general immigrant community, the people who are first generation. These sounds like second generation activists who come here to without experience, real immigrants who left everything in our country to come here and make a life. We came here for opportunities and we're not afraid of hard work. And we are practical business people who integrated into America and this country and this society. And we recognize when policies don't work, these housing policies that you are considering is extremely harmful to the immigrant poor community who need a pathway out of poverty. What you're considering is removing extremely valuable rental stock, essential housing services. When you remove that, it increases rent it decreases on tenants, hurts tenants. It decreases its available, availability of housing. And just to touch on a couple of things, just cause you say after eviction moratorium ended, eviction went up 40% relative to pre-pandemic levels. Well, you've had three years of eviction that has not happened. So there's a backlog of three years. The, the, the rate where 
eviction should go up is 300%. So you have 40%. That means a lot of people are working, working things out. So, so how is this being put out there to say that this makes sense? Please think about what you're saying. You're flunking in math. You're flunking in science. You're flunking in data. I would like to say more, but I'm pretty upset. Please look at the numbers and reason it out. Roby, you're online and you have two minutes to speak. Hi, good evening, Supervisor Tam and Miley. Roby Antonio with CAA. The meeting is quite interesting tonight in that you have two agenda items that are on separate ends of the spectrum. One item requires the county to remove obstacles to new housing, and the next actually creates obstacles to providing housing. A few things observed in tonight's presentation. First, it is interesting that staff is quoting a 40% uptick in eviction filings, but doesn't give the reason. It is a known fact that an overwhelming majority of eviction filings are due to non-payment of rent. No amount of just cause will save the renter if he or she is being evicted due to missed rent. This is because non-payment of rent is on top of the list as one of the just causes that an owner can terminate a tenancy. Two, it should always be recognized by the board that staff began this crusade before COVID hit and before AB 1482 was passed when there were no statewide laws to regulate rent and evictions. The moment AB 1482 was passed, staff should have focused its efforts in the outreach and education of new laws, including existing laws, um, like fair housing and habitability requirements. Three, make no mistake about it. The rent registry is not just about collecting data that already exists. It's about control and creating a new bureaucracy that has staff as the controller. There is a reason why the ordinance includes a specific language that gives staff full authority to add or amend the rent registry without board approval. CAA will continue its commitment to partner with local jurisdictions to tell the truth about the existing laws and how they can be used to address issues raised by renters. It is truly sad that up to date, staff still refuses to recognize these protections and develop a plan on how to implement them since the opportunity was interrupted when the pandemic wrecked havoc and worldwide. Um, please think about um, the current situation that the owners have been in the last three years in light of the eviction moratorium and listen to all of the hardships by everyone. Thank you. Mena, you're online, you have two minutes to speak. Laura. Buenas noches, mi nombre es Laura. Soy inquilina del área de Cheredan por muchos años. Yo solo estoy aquí para que, que, que queremos que todos los inquilinos reciban las mismas protecciones contra los desalojos. No podemos volver a los 3,000 desalojos al año. Mantengan a todas nuestras familias alojadas. Señora Lena Tan, por favor, hemos tenido y hemos ido a su oficina para tener una reunión con usted. Um, por favor, denos la oportunidad. Conozca nuestro grupo, conozca nuestros demás grupos. Aprueben, por favor, la causa justa, la oportunidad justa y un registro de rentas para nuestros inquilinos y para todas nuestras familias de aquí de las áreas no incorporadas. Haciendo un, y platicando con vecinos, una señora me permitió entrar a su hogar y es increíble cómo vive. Al entrar usted a su casa, huele mucho a olores a, a, de ratón. 
en sus muebles hay excremento de ratón. El techo se le está cayendo encima. O sea, ¿qué más pruebas necesitan para pasar estas pruebas? Señor Meili, usted nos conoce, sabe de nuestro grupo. Por favor, reúnase con nosotros también. Es un derecho que tenemos nosotros como inquilinos y como comunidad. Muchas gracias. My name is Laura. I'm also a member of Cherryland. I'm a renter in Cherryland for many years. And I also want to talk about this uh, same uh, rights. We uh, would like to ask you to stop, uh, do something about and not repeat the same situation where there has been uh, 3,000 uh, people kicked out of their houses a year. Ms. Lina, uh, we would like you to take the time to have a meeting with us so that you can meet us and know us. Um, and we would like you all to approve this just cause. I also approve in uh, the registry of tenants. Um, I have talked to other uh, neighbors here And there's some neighbors that are really bad situation. One of them, I visited their house and their house is such a bad situation. There's rats everywhere. There's rat excrement everywhere and it smells so bad and their roof is about to fall off. Um, so I would like you to uh, give us the support. We have rights as um, tenants and we need you to support us. Thank you very much. Mina, you're online. You have two minutes to speak. Hi, uh, my name is Mina Young. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, okay, I learned a great word from the previous speaker, comunidad. Um, so we are a community, I guess that's what it means. Um, So with these regulations, it's actually dividing us. Uh, some renters say they have been there for 20 years. That means currently uh, the system works. So for the uh, small, it's the few cases of uh, bad situations, maybe there could be mediation to resolve it instead of uh, wreaking havoc for everyone. So we know that uh, in places where these reg regulations are in place, like San Francisco, I have looked at the census data. Since 1979, um, the rent control was in place. The previous 40 years, San Francisco created more housing, 30% more housing than the recent 40 years after the rent control. And uh, scientists, Uh, economists, 93% of them said rent control is the most effective way to destroy housing other than bombing. So it does show that in the data. My parents and I, we jointly uh, uh, bought a uh, duplex. I myself, uh, a single family house. So I wanted to, you know, to help out. You know, my, my parents didn't have a Uh, income, I mean, a, a retirement fund. When they started, the parents only made $300 per month. So it's it's very difficult for them. And so we as a 
family, we joined together to pull together fund to buy the house. So I think the tenants could do that too, but don't take away your own chances to climb out the low income hole. So please, these are opportunities that's important. Please do not regulate low income people out of the middle class. Thank you. Thank you. Francis, you're online, you have two minutes to speak. Uh, yes, hi. I am um, I, I am a small property owner. I've worked my whole life. I'm a senior citizen to um, and I do provide good housing at a low, very below market rates. Um, I just don't understand why we need more regulation. Nobody wants to do evictions. Evictions are so hard on landlords. The tenants have all the rights and they have right to free counsel. They, whereas a landlord has to pay for an attorney, most can't afford an attorney. Um, and I just don't understand why the, the tenant groups think that housing should, that these landlords should be paying for everybody's housing. I mean, water is a human right. Does that mean nobody should pay East Bay mud? Food is a human right. Does that mean anybody can just walk into any store and just have any food they want? I mean, I don't understand. I just don't understand the logic of all of this. And as far as rent control, rent control absolutely hurts housing. It provides no incentive for people to move. So people just hold on to housing for decades instead of releasing housing to the next, to the next group of people who will come in. I have people calling me every day and asking me if I have anything to rent. And I don't because I have people sitting in this housing who are not paying rent and who are never will pay rent, don't even try to pay rent because of this eviction moratorium. And I just, and I can't even repair my house that got flooded on New Year's Eve because I have to maintain rental housing, which is my responsibility. I understand that. So my house, which has flood damage, it has to just sit and have flood damage. But tenants do have a lot more rights. And of course, if there is a problem with their um, with a repair, they can make a repair and deduct it off the rent. There just are so many um, resources for tenants and zero for landlords. It just really is the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Sulani, you're online and you have two minutes to speak. Hola, buenas noches. ¿Sí me escucha? Sí. Hola, mi nombre es Sulani Pai. Soy miembro de Mayden Boys e Inclinos Unidos. Y soy residente del área no incorporada de Eden. He vivido por más de 20 años en Cherryland. Y yo hablo por los que trabajamos, nos esforzamos y nos limitamos de algunas cosas por estar al día con nuestras rentas y más por la seguridad de nuestros hijos y familiares. Mi hijo mayor ahora ya trabaja y es una gran ayuda para mí. Estamos planeando llevar a nuestros niños a un parque de diversiones. Estamos tratando de hacer ese ahorro. Por favor, por nuestras familias y la seguridad de ellos, le pido a los supervisores que nos apoyen pasando las protecciones para los inquilinos. Causa justa, registro de renta, control de renta. Muchísimas gracias por escucharnos. Hello, uh, 
My name is Sue. I'm also calling, I'm also a member of Maiden Voice. I live in an unincorporated area of Eden. I've lived 20 years in Cherryland. And I also want to speak about people like me that are workers. We give our best effort to work and pay our rent. Um, we do our best effort to follow what we're supposed to do. For example, I have my oldest son who is already working. And fortunately, he's able to provide and help us in the household. Uh, we've been able to save a little bit of money so that we can actually uh, go to an amusement park and uh, go together. Um, and these are the things that uh, we're able to do at least. Um, I would like you to please protect us on this um, new measure, protect our, our just cause, the registry of tenants and protection for all tenants. Thank you. We have no more speakers. Thank you very much. Um, I just I have some comments based on what I've heard tonight. Um, I've been in office six weeks and this is clearly an issue where there are very strong feelings because we all need affordable, safe, habitable housing. It's so strong that our board of supervisors meetings got shut down where we couldn't even talk about this issue and we couldn't ask these questions and we couldn't approve emergency funding for repairs from the storm damage. So clearly this is a very, um, yeah, a very uh, flashpoint issue. And over the last six weeks that I've been in office, my staff and I have met with eight different groups on both sides, tenants groups, uh, housing provider groups, community groups, sometimes with the same group, like my Eden Voice, three or four times. Um, and so we need, we develop questions for our staff and mainly the questions also deal with how these uh, ordinances harmonize with each other. Because one set of ordinances says they'll be in effect in 30 days, but it depends on another ordinance that won't be in effect for another year. So we're trying to understand all of this. So I appreciate everyone coming up tonight and uh, actually participating online because I didn't want these conversations to be siloed. Like we have conversations here and there, but clearly people want to have more discussions, particularly with me and informing me of what some of the uh, cases and the testimonial are and with my staff and I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, Julie Yim is my interim uh, chief and she has been meeting with several of the community groups and Feeling is our district director here and she is in the San Lorenzo office. She also is fluent in Spanish so and Mandarin and Cantonese. So she uh, can be very helpful and in uh, helping to direct some of the questions. And Jared is gonna be leaving us, but he's been the district director, he'll be going to HCD. So that is a, uh, these are resources that are available. And, and I appreciate everyone coming and staying this late. So thank you very much.
<laughs> Supervisor Tam. So nice, Sam. President Miley, you're on the line. Oh yeah, I just wanted to say I, I do appreciate hearing all the testimony. Uh, I've heard it um, over and over and over again, and you know, um, I'm just going to do my best to balance the equities. And this will be at the board. Hopefully, it won't get delayed any further, so we can take some action one way or the other on February 28th. So. I just want to thank you for sharing tonight's meeting and everybody who provided testimony once again. Thank you very much. Um, hearing no further business, the meeting is adjourned. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much.